tip today in association with Slatteries of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slatteriesgarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything if you want to make a call to us. And Emma is looking after the show today. Uh, coming up on the programme uh, this morning, after much confusion, Molly Martins Corbett and her father Thomas Martins are to remain in prison until next uh, summer. The author Mansour Adaifi on his time in Guantanamo Bay. Uh, we'll hear about the cost of GP appointments abroad in comparison to what we're paying here. Karen Prendergast will discuss a simple and speedy ways to update your home in a weekend. We have conspiracy files with Ali and we'll speak to our legal eagle, Solicitor John Lynch. So all of that and much, much more on the way. We have vouchers for you as well because we're celebrating Christmas shopping in Thardis. We have two more vouchers to give away uh, today for Lenan's carry-out off-licence on Liberty Square in Boomerang, a country store on the Dublin Road in Thurless as well. And we'll give you a cue to call. This will be your cue to call. <laughs> it's Christmas in Thurless. It's Christmas in Thurless. So when you hear that again, give us a, a text or a call uh, or a WhatsApp and we will pop you in the draw for those lovely prizes. Quick look at the headlines today. The Irish Times and their leading with that story that the coalition is close to a deal to provide up to €3 billion Euro in new funding for the Land Development Agency, giving it to the firepower to build 5,000 to 6,000 new homes in the next uh, three years. Good news story on the Irish Times today. Early diagnosis is leading to better cancer outcomes, including near total survival at five years for some forms of the disease, according to a new report from the National Cancer Registry. The uh, Martins uh, story uh, on the front of the Irish Times as well today. Uh, The Irish Daily Mail, their main story. Justice Minister Helen McEntee will seek Cabinet approval today to open negotiations for an extradition treaty with the United Arab Emirates. So an agreement would pave the way for members of the Kinahan cartel, one of the world's largest drug trafficking gangs now based in Dubai, to be brought back here to face a trial. So obviously she's not over-concerned about that vote. of no confidence in her today. The Irish Times was put to bed uh, too early to uh, hear the update on the uh, story with uh, the, the the Corbett's, and we'll talk about that in just a few moments' uh, time. Uh, Cork fans will have to pay to see all but one of their team's Munster Senior Hurling Championship games on GAA Go next season at the launch in Croke Park. It was confirmed that the county's uh, first three fixtures across April and May will not be televised uh, free to air and that fans will have to pay for them on the subscription platform jointly owned by the GAA and RT. That fourth game, by the way, is a Tipperary game and again we'll be chatting about that uh, later on as well. Also on the examiner today, asylum seekers who are not provided accommodation by the state will be given an additional €75 payment per week under plans to go to Cabinet today. And finally, the Irish Indo and their main story, the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly faces a demand for two extra days of holidays for more than 40,000 nurses as compensation for delays in issuing wages, hikes, 
due uh, under the current public sector pay deal. So that's a look at what's making headlines. And uh, again, if you want to make comments on any of that, we'd love to hear from you. 083-311-3311. Now, Molly Martins Corbett and her father, Thomas Martins, are to remain in prison until next summer for the killing of Limerick man Jason Corbett. Authorities in North Carolina have said it's after a mistake almost laid to their release this week. Now, our reporter, Alison Highland, joins me in studio. Ellie, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. Will you give us this story? Because it's, it's, it's one of confusion, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of confusion around it. It started yesterday with the Irish Mirror, in fact, reporting that Tom and Molly Martins were due to be released this week. And this was after their resentencing hearing happened just last month. And they were given an extra 24 weeks in prison, which would have put their release date at around mid-June of next year. But the Irish Mirror got word that their release date was being brought forward this week. That was then reported uh, locally in North Carolina and the Corbett family then were asked for a comment on it yesterday asked did they know about it and they didn't know anything about it so they sought clarification on it. Now the release dates of all uh, prisoners in in any kind of penitentiary in the US is available online. Mm. Now, you can get it, but you do need to do a lot of digging in order to get it. So it wasn't something that was easily accessible. So it was something that a lot of people had to really trawl over to try and get details of. But eventually, once you did get the information, what it showed was that Tom Martin's had a release date of today and Molly Martin's release date was tomorrow. So the uh, justice system in North Carolina and the prison service were asked about this. There was silence for a number of hours. Nobody was saying anything. The Corbett family were then getting their uh, legal team on it, trying to see clarification on it. And then what happened, there was a, a... a statement released by the North Carolina Prison Service yesterday, a very short statement, but all it said was that they confirmed that the release dates of December 5th and 6th were incorrect. And after further review, the initial projected release dates calculated in response to the resentencing for both Molly Corbett, Molly Corbett and Thomas Martins were found to be incorrect and the current projected release dates for both is now June 27th of 2024. This statement was kind of released Mm. just before the closing of offices essentially yesterday. So nobody was able to get any answers as to how this mistake was made. Um, Interestingly enough as well, the statement also said that Corbett and Martins will now be transferred to state prison facilities for the Mm. remainder of their sentence. Now, would you explain why that is unusual? That's unusual because they were sentenced, so they should not have been in county jail, Mm. which is where they were. They should have been in state prison because because it's a felony. Because manslaughter is a felony, isn't it? So they should have been in the penitentiary. They should have been in state prison, not in county jail, which a lot of people would, I think, consider county jail to be a bit easier Mm. than state Mm. prison. So it looks like they were given, um, I think, probably some preferential treatment by who mm. and why still and remains And is that a because of Thomas Martin's background? Is you would assume it? so. I mean, yes. he worked in the FBI for a number of, for decades, in fact. And a lot of people, the Corbett family, have also said that maybe Tom Martin's was getting special treatment because of his former job role. So nothing has come out yet from the US Justice Department or from the North Carolina um, Prison Authority. So we'll be waiting to see what they say.
the Davidson County District Attorney Jerry Frank or Gary Frank who prosecuted the father and daughter he said that he was shocked by it he was surprised at the early release date but he said that his office has no role in the calculation of prison sentences and parole matters but he will be seeking mm. uh, further clarification well, on it. But is it fair to say Ali that Unless a journalist unearthed this, and as you say, a lot of trolling and digging had to yeah. happen to get this, they could have walked today and tomorrow under 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 cover of darkness. Yeah, and nobody would have known that they yeah. would have been wow. released. Nobody would have known that they spent the last almost four weeks in county jail, which is a pretty cushy number compared to state prison. So you'd wonder, was that... The, was that the, the plan all along that maybe, you know, uh-huh. let's just pay lip service to it and make it look like they're getting a hard time, but they're not and we'll get them out before Christmas. But that obviously isn't going to happen now. They're both going to be released mm-hmm. next June. There's been no statement from their legal team as to this mistake. Uh, so it remains to be seen. Tracy Corbett Lynch, who, of course, is Jason's sister, has said that this was disappointing and heartbreaking. She mm. described it as, and said they would be seeking further answers as to how this could happen. Do you know, I'd love to see the details of the plea deal. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, um, yeah. because you know, I mean, maybe the I, I presume that's not completely public a plea deal. There, are, there are parts of it that can be kept, of, yeah, uh, secret, redacted but, in some way. Yeah, and I wonder, would this have been something that was agreed maybe with their defence team or their legal team? Ahead of going into prison, it's interesting, but All right. we'll there, be, there's still a lot we'll to be answer. Watching the story, Ellie. Thanks very thanks, much Frank. indeed for that. Oh, and three three double one double three double one. Now, GAA goes broadcasting four Munster hurling championship games next April and May has drawn a sharp reaction from the former Cork hurler Donalo Cusack, who has called for government leadership on the issue and questioned whether there is a conflict of interest at play. Now, GA Go has launched its 2024 schedule. Four of the 11 Munster Hurling Games being broadcast live, including one of Tipperary's four Munster Senior Hurling Championship Games uh, next year, will be streamed on the GAA platform, GAA Go. Sports broadcaster John O'Shea joins me now. Good morning to you, John. Morning, Fran. Great to talk to you again, John. Thanks for coming on with us. And um, with all the controversy that surrounded this this year, John, are you surprised at this? Well, uh, you know, I, I'm not surprised because um, I suppose there was always going to be a GA Go package. But what I am surprised about is some of the games that are, uh, you know, not free to air. Uh, if you t- you, you mentioned there the Cork, three of Cork's most of championship yeah. games. If you see who they're playing, they're playing their way to Waterford on the first game on the Sunday, the, the very first Sunday that the Munster Championship kicks off. Away to Waterford, home to Clare in round two, uh, and then home to Cork in in round four in the in Saturday the 11th of May. Like, you know, like that game could have a huge bearing on who could qualify, we'll say, for the Munster final, who could qualify maybe in third place for the All-Ireland series. Similarly, the, the, the Waterford game, Tip and Waterford. So all these games, you know, are huge games in their own right. And let's not forget Leinster, even though probably a lot of people would say the Leinster Championship wouldn't be up there with the Munster Championship. And I'd be a sort of a, one of the people that would probably think that, and that's no disrespect to Munster, mm. but we probably, probably know already the three teams that are going to come out of Leinster. But you have Kilkenny involved in two of those there against Carlow, way to Carlow in a, in a, in a local derby, and, and Dublin. And then you have Wexford involved in two. Wexford at home to Galway, Wexford away to Antrim. So it's, 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 these are the choice games. And 
I know that GA Go is a, is a, is a company that RTE and the GA are involved in. Uh, we also know, by the way, that RTE can cover every game in the thing because it just wouldn't be practical. It wouldn't be f- probably it would be impossible with the number of games on at the same time. And there's lots of other sports on during the summer. We have to acknowledge that, friend. But um, and if we look at it from a from a from a commercial point, it is a good package. Possibly about sixty or sixty or seventy quid or something. Now, if you're away, if you're, with, say, in the UK or somewhere else like that, mm. because I know people in the UK have it and they think it's great. Yes. But that's, that's, well, that, that's, that's what it was designed for, John, in the first place, wasn't it? Correct, Fran. And yeah. that's you see where, like, okay, I would be a traditionalist, and I think a lot of people would probably accept that. But I, I, I you know, and Sky are gone out of the equation. Mm. They're mm. no longer in it. But what about TG Cahar? For example, yeah. the sister broadcaster yeah. for RTE, um, like, and the wonderful work that they do during the club season, and, and yeah. I think tonight even, for example, I think they're probably showing one of the, you know, the higher education. I think UL and someone else in yes. a in a league game. And, and for uh, women's sport in particular, they've been really, really fantastic. Yeah, they cover everything. Yeah. Like, in fairness to them, they cover horse racing in Irish. They cover. They cover tennis in Irish. Mm. Like, let's, uh, you don't have to be a, an Irish speaker because we all know, we all look at the matches and none of us, some of us would, would have a little bit of Irish, just Medina, but yeah. some of us wouldn't. But you know who is playing, you know the players, all the players' names are in English. So it's not that hard to follow TG Carr either. Yes. You know what I mean? They have good analysts. Okay, the analysts, the analyzing of it at halftime and stuff like that is in Irish, but it's not bad. The interviews, a lot of them are in English. Now, what about Virgin? What about Virgin TV media? Are they interested in it? Were they offered it? You know, I'm talking about not behind the mm. paywall, but free to air. Of course. Uh, yeah. But but this, uh, is, this is just a, a commercial decision, isn't it? Well, would you help me, John? Because as you know, I'm not a sporty, but you spoke about the importance of the games that will be behind the paywall of GAA Go. Why is it then that RT are saying, well, we wouldn't have screened those if they're so important? But you see, look at... Like, if, with all due respects, then you have to wonder, are RTE, are they speaking out of both sides of their mouth? Now, they have got a package. They, 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 they I suppose, bid for the want of a word, word. They got a contract for so many games. They've, RTE picks the games that they're going to put out free to air. Now, we all know RTE is in trouble financially. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's be honest about that. The whole world knows that now. Uh, these games, like, it's, 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 when, when you have commercial decisions, overriding sporting activities like that. I think you've got a problem there then. Now, um, these games, as I said, just imagine on Saturday the 11th of May, uh, Cork and Limerick. We all know what happened last year in that game, Cork and Limerick. You know, that could be decide who will be in the Munster final. That could be the day Limerick gets knocked out of the All-Ireland series. We don't know what's going to happen down the road, but there is always potential. We know the Munster Championship and how cutthroat it is. And, you know, there's five teams battling it out in Munster. Let's be honest with it. Mm-hmm. Today, every one of those have visions of being in a Munster final or certainly qualifying in third place to get into the All-Ireland Series. They have expectations of it. Their supporters have expectations of it. And I would have expectations of Tip got in last year, if you remember, in third place. No, so I mean, yeah, and, but isn't this? I mean, and you describe it so passionately, John. Isn't that really what it's about? These are games that will draw people to the platform, and it's a commercial decision. 
They will, of course, and not everybody can go to games for yeah. one reason or another. There are an awful lot of people, you know, st- uh, friend there, they're dependent on local radio, let it be commercial yeah. or community or whatever it is. They're, they have their RTE there of a Sunday, they're sitting down at it and they're watching it. And all of a sudden, they're, there's the cost now. And, OK, I, I wouldn't be a great uh, follower or fan of, 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 of Don Logue Jusey. Mm. But in this case, he has got a point and he's got a very valid point. You know what I mean? Now, we are a public broadcaster. RT is a public broadcaster. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's no point in all these, 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 these TDs and politicians standing up and saying, they, they should, RT should do this, do that, and do the other thing. You know what I mean? They, they, they're being bailed out by the government. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, there's a lot of stuff that shouldn't be uh, free to air. Like, we, we do know that there are other sports so let's, let's get that, to be honest about that, and RT and, sorry, GA can't dominate everything for the mm. summer. We know that for the, for, the, for the months of April, or the late April. It's a six-weeks window there, like, put it that way, mm. uh, and probably seven in if you take in the, where the Munster and Leinster finals, there, you know. Uh, so it, it is a huge time of the year for the GA. It is a huge time for followers. But if you have to pay it, uh, you know, to look, I think it's 12 or 13 quid a game. Now, I suppose they sell it as a package. And, and I was very, yesterday, I think Marty Morrissey interviewed Larry McCarthy, the Oakdron of the, of the, of, yes. of Common Lutz last year. And I didn't like the glib answer that the Oakdron gave. His answer was, oh, tis, we're showing games that wouldn't be showed. Uh, you know, if we didn't show them on Diego, people wouldn't have the chance to see them. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's that, what struck me as strange as well, John. That was, yeah. to me, that was a real condescending answer mm. and, 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 and a glib answer to, to you know, that's not what the GA is about. It's about locally in a club, it's volunteers. Yeah. Yeah. Local, divisional, it's volunteers. County board, it's volunteers. And, like, everybody gets stick and every, we all blame people in authority and we don't like it. But there are very few lads out there to take on those jobs. And, you know... But when you move up the ladder in the hierarchy of the GA, it's all commercial, and that's the thing about it. You know, even the way the way Crow Park is laid out and all, it's all commercial. Uh, you had Parky Creeve down there last year, he parked Farfet in a home game there because of a concert. Like, that's the commercial aspect. And there's no point in saying, oh, the hurlers and the GA, uh, the, the, the um, management of the team, they were happy with it. You know, they'd have to say publicly that they are happy. But like it's 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 a, it's a whole. Well, John, about, you I... tell me, we almost had an identical conversation about this for the 2023 games, and again, Michal um, Martin was very outspoken uh, about this. Don Logue is calling on the government to do something about this, but it it looks like that you know they're they're not returning and they'll go their own way. Look at the packages there for 2024. There is no change in it. That's it now. That's that's drawn up now. That's a contract. That's there. And, you, you know, for 2024, I don't know what, uh, what the, 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 the small printers and all this stuff, but I can see why, uh, looking at it from the outside, why TG Carr couldn't. Uh, but in modern technology, you don't yeah. have, we say, Virgin Media or whatever they call themselves now, TV3, Virgin Media, uh, they don't have to have television cameras there now. They don't have to have all their gear there. It can you know, you know yourself now, modern yeah, modern course. broadcasting and all. Yeah. It's not the same as it was 40 years ago. Like, you have your panel of analysts. You know, the one thing I suppose I will say about it, that the GA go, 
they have great analysts and I think they're not very they're not biased unlike RT RT has some terrible terrible mm. biased analysts do you think uh, so James? John but, yeah oh yes of course it yeah. is you know and my idea is, is you know like if, if, if you're if you're listening to uh, to, to, to Fran to uh, people analysing a game or talking about you shouldn't know where they come from by mm. By 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 their by their by their talk and by yeah, their demeanour yeah. or whatever we know it we know it they are, if Tip and Limerick are playing why do you have an analyst from one from Tip and one from Limerick you know you should have neutral analysts but you know that's just mm. an example uh, every every county has their has their biased uh, give their biased yeah. opinions on stuff and they won't call it as they see it. But uh, the one thing I will say there, I saw the game last year there with Diego Bubbles the Wire, John. He mm. called it as he saw it, yeah, and I admired yeah. him for it. You know, well, Bubbles the, always does in fairness. He does, and fair play to him. The other side of the coin, Fran, on this 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 gold job is it's dependent on your availability of broadband and the quality of your yeah, broadband yeah. in your house. And there's nothing as bad if you pay. You, you just say you decided, look at that. I won't be going there, and, and, and think, I think I'll get the GA go and. The next, for whatever reason, you, you might be have just tied for time and you'll come in at home, you'll put it on, bang on, nothing happens. Because yeah. the broadband is, is bad of course. in your area. And, and John, I don't have it, but it's complicated as well, isn't it? In that you have an app on your phone and it has to be thrown to your TV in some way. Is that, is that the Something way it works? I, I just, yeah. I'd be the worst in the world how yeah, that yeah, works. Yeah, yeah. I saw it last year. I saw a game last year. Uh, there was a game inside in Turles last year in the stadium. Uh, I was at it. And at the same time, at the same time, for the first round, for the match, for the Inter Championship, was Tip and Clare was was uh, down in in Ennis, I think, and it was on GA go inside in the dome, yes. and there was a brilliant reception there because that was the quality of the broadband, the broadband in yeah. in the dome, and that was the only game I think I saw yeah. on on. Um, on GA goal last year, but I've heard about you know people getting it, and the next thing is static. I, I know a few people up around Anacarty, they are up around Carlow and places yeah. like that, and there was no reception at all there when they halfway through the whole thing. That's went right. We, we had so many complaints uh, this year about that, about it buffering all all of the time and not being worth the money and all all of that. But they're not returning on it anyway, John. I as you say, so. no, contracts no, drawn up and that, all of that. Yeah. That would be look at it's 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 it. For, for the, I suppose, the ornery supporter, the yeah. guy that's putting his hand in his pocket every day, club matches, going on to county matches, all that. Everybody wants to see their county playing. That's not possible. But there should have been, as I say, there, there are two other t- TV channels in Ireland here besides RTE. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a, a, a possibility. Now, and even giving it to them, at a, a GA selling it to them at a reduced rate, but you know, does it all come down to commercialism? Which I of think course this it does. is, is a commercial it decision. Of course. Uh, and when you analyse the counties involved and the games involved, and as I said, I picked them, that last game in Munster, Cork, and Limerick. But yes. if you pick the last game in Leinster on the 18th of May, Dublin and Kilkenny, that could decide who is the third team uh, in Leinster or who qualifies for the Leinster final. Fan. That could be a huge game, uh, yeah. and. People will buy it on the last moment. They say, God, we can't, we can't miss this one. We have to see this. And I have no doubt that Cork and Limerick in that last game, if it comes down to the wire, that will be a sellout game uh, 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 on on um, on um, 
GA go for the people that can go All right. there. John, I must leave it there, but uh, you know, just for your own information, my screens are lit up here with people again being very, very critical of the GA where this is concerned. John, really good to talk to you. We appreciate you making time for us this morning, John. Thank you. All right, Th- thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Bye bye. You know that sports broadcaster John O'Shea speaking to us uh, this morning. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double zero seven. Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on! You can't beat experience. With over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. Oh six seven two four one 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 or slatterysgarage.ie. A new survey reveals how one in six are paying between €26 and €50 to see their GP, while over a third are paying between €51 and €75, with prices highest in Dublin, as you can imagine. Now, one of our listeners, Martin, was in touch with us, and he joins me now from Tenerife. Good morning to you, Martin. Hello, Fran. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed, and good to talk to you today. But will you make us jealous, because it's it's a frosty morning here. I presume it's lovely in Tenerife, is it? We don't do frost, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm at uh, 860 metres altitude of the mountain and it's a, it's a bit cloudy yeah. and uh, sort of 18 to 20, 20 degrees. But yeah. the thing is, we don't do frost, but it feels cold. Yeah, I've well, got sock. I've got some socks on. It feels cold. <laughs> well, well, around Anacarty this morning it was minus three, uh, Martin. So I, I don't, I... I don't feel too, too sorry for you. Indeed. Will you talk oh. to us about about healthcare and maybe a comparison for us? And what did you make of those figures, by the way, to see see a GP, Martin? I, I, I didn't get all the figures uh, yeah. today, but I can give you, I can give you general comments about living in uh, the Spanish territory. Yes. It's not. It's not free. Um, the, the NHS and whatever you know in the UK, they, they, they sort of suggest it's free, but it's not a free system because people pay national insurance, of mm. course. Yes. Over here, I'm self-employed. I have a golf shop that sits in my garden. If I don't sell clubs, I don't bother. If I sell clubs, it's a great week. Mm. But the thing is, I have to pay three hundred and twenty-seven euros a month for social benefits Mm -hmm. and that that means that i get a pension at the end of 15 years and um i've been paying into the system for about five years i'm 64 years old so my mathematics means that at 70 i'll have a pension from spain but in the meantime i also have social health care which is quite quick and efficient and tell us about that how quick and efficient is it for example martin you must realise I don't live in a big city like yeah. Dublin. I live in a, a wee little, little village with about maybe a thousand, two thousand people in, and it, it's just um, going back in time, sort of forty, fifty years. You go to the doctor's surgery and just say to the counter, "Can I have a, an appointment?" And the uh, receptionist says, "What's it about?" And you tell her, and then she doesn't sort of. Uh, pontificate about the health. She just says, oh, well, you can see him today if you come back at 11, uh, or you can see him on Thursday next week because it's not that important, is it? Mm. And that's, you know, if it's flu, they send you home and say, well, go and take some paracetamol and agua, and that's it. Mm. Um, But the thing is, generally, they just say, look, you know, you can have an appointment. Recently, I went and had an appointment because I've got um, quite a lot of uh, ganglions in my hands, which are sort of gnarled tendons, yes. and they're getting a bit bad. 
And he mm. said to me, well, if the, if the pain gets too much, we'll have to put you on the sick. But the thing is, let's take some photographs, send them to a specialist, and I'll get back to you when he gets back to me. Mm. It's very simple stuff. They don't sort of make you wait two years for an appointment. It's oh, well, let's send him some images and see what he thinks. What's it like in Ireland? Yeah, it, well, you see, it's a lot more complex uh, than that and because people can't get appointments with their GPs here, they're presenting themselves at A&E, Martin, and that's causing all sorts of bottlenecks and issues, yeah. as you can imagine, with people waiting for sometimes, waiting in A&E for, for days, you know, so it's... It, yes, I can't imagine. Yeah, and what I about say, your... Lo- A&E... I, I Sorry. beg your pardon, do, do, do go on, Martin, yeah. At, at A&E over here... Mm. Um, Obviously, we have uh, to combat the two types of people on the island. Mm. One type is tourism. The other type is residentia. So the people who live here, they know that if they go to the hospital, it's 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 between a rock and a hard place if you're going to get seen because there's people falling over, being happy on the player, Mm. and basically they sort of go to the uh, A&E. But up the hill, um, we have little clinics Mm. And those clinics are 24 hours. So any time in the middle of the night, if you feel very, very poorly, you, you press the bell and there's a doctor on call. Now, that doesn't seem too out, outrageous from being living here. But with the sounds of it, I think it might be a bit odd to hear from what's offered at your place. Well, it, it, it sounds very odd indeed because we have a care doc system here and a Shannon doc system, but the, the, you have to make a phone call. Yeah. You get a nurse who speaks to you about where you are. Then they'll get back to you after a period of time and then they'll try and set up an appointment for you. But it could be hours and hours. You, you, Good grief. So, so those clinics you're talking about in a rel- relatively rural area... You just present yourself there, Martin. Is that it? And well, it's a bit, it's a big, a bit, little bit bigger. The next village along, yes. it's called Geardesora, and uh, it's it's a, a more modern village. I mean, mine's an antique village. It's all sort of um, ex-farming families. Yes. But the thing is, on on the Geardesora village, it's about maybe ten times bigger, eight times bigger, and they have this clinic. And uh, most villages of that size up the up the mountain have that clinic. It seems that the Spanish seem to have a more basic hands-on, what do you want yes. sort of system, not of not of can you jump over these hurdles or jump through these hoops. They say right, what's wrong with you? Right, go home. You're not poorly. <laughs> it's rather yeah, yeah, rather yeah. blasé. But the thing is, they say, well, what's wrong with you? Right. I bet you get seen. Yeah, it's interesting. Will you tell me a little bit more about the monthly cost? For you? you say you pay three hundred and thirty-seven euro a month, and for that, well, you, all, I beg, all yes, self-employed. Yeah. That's not private insurance. That's that's being a self-employed person in Spain. When you're self-employed in Ireland, do you have to pay a monthly fee to the government? I'm not quite sure about that. Neither am I. Sure, yeah. Maybe maybe some of our self-employed listeners might might let us know uh, about that. Might be a good discussion point. But the thing is, I I pay that over here every month because I'm happy to pay because I get good health care. If I paid private insurance, it would be less. But the thing is, I get a pension at the end of the day, so I'm I'm not an arguing... I'm not going to argue with a deal of €327 a month that sometimes is very difficult for me to meet as a pensioner with no pension yet. Yes. And basically, um, I'm quite happy to do that because of the benefits I receive. 
And when maybe, you, maybe. And when you do receive Sorry. your pension, Martin, um, it, it, it sounds very nosy of me, but, I mean, is it comparable to what we have here? Which is, what is it now, about 220, 240 you know, hours or something no like that? I have no idea. Yeah. I've, I've not even looked into my UK pension, and I get that in two and a half years' time. I've, yes. I'm, I'm not I'm not very much a money person. I'm not I'm not that private. I'd tell you if I knew. Yes. Might be might be comparative, might be more. I think that uh, there's a lot of people here that have worked for many years. I've only been here eight years living here, mm. but they've been many years, and they're very happy with what pension they receive, if that answers your question. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting because, of course, there's a lot of concern here that with an ageing population, I mean, within a couple of decades, there there's concern whether or not we can afford even the current level of pension that we pay. Well, that's been known for years. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 in my past, I worked at a, a large bank. Yeah. And in the bank, they knew that the the older population and the actuaries that uh, I met from the investment side, they said, well, you know, we've got an aging population, and the thing is, the baby booms bust. So there's you've got to look at the mathematics of young people working to be able to pay for the elderly. And I think, basically more young people you can have in a country at the moment that can be got out to work and uh, get a job uh, is better for the social sort of strength of the economy. Um, look at Japan. Of course, um, yeah. Yeah. I read recently that Japan, um, they sell more grown-up nappies than baby nappies. My God. My God. So and Ch- China, of, of course, <laughs> China is in a very similar position as well, yeah. I don't know about China. I've, yeah. I visited China on business yeah. many years ago, and uh, I just I just found it amazing when a very important sort of uh, person from Britain that sort of uh, live, live, works over there in the official capacity, he turned around. He said, "There's there's not many stray dogs and cats here," <laughs> and he just sort of bit his lip. And I said, "Yeah." Yes. I see your point. They they they, they survive. Yes, indeed. But well, Martin, they have funny ways. It's a real pleasure to talk to you today, Martin. And thanks so much for your time. And thank you for that insight into life in lovely Tenerife. And don't don't you don't you forget don't you forget if you ever want any secondhand golf clubs, <laughs> you just get in touch. <laughs> yeah, never miss Ciao an opportunity, Martin. Bye bye to you, Martin. Bye bye. Happy Christmas to you and all. And Ciao. many happy returns to you. Thanks, Martin. Thank you. That's Martin in Tenerife. Twenty degrees there today. Sounds nice, doesn't it? We'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Yeah, listener telling us that the Spanish pension is about €900 Euro a month, so sort of more or less, slightly less, I think, than what we're getting here. Uh, listener says, just listening to that man about health service in Spain, I'd advise him to stay there. At least he has a health service. Uh, it would be quicker to get a flight to Spain than be seen in UHL. Patrick, my friend Patrick, on to say, Fran, I was at Care Dock on Sunday and I waited just five minutes and got a great service and great care. So fair play. Uh, George was on to us from Nina. He says, the crazy thing about GAA Go is that RTE will also cover... 
uh, these matches because they have to show the highlights on the Sunday game. So it's just all about money. Somebody else saying the government is giving taxpayers money to the tune of 30 million to the GAA and 40 million to RTE in 2024. The government should threaten to pull all funding to both until they put all of the games back on terrestrial uh, TV. Um, somebody else saying instead of complaining the best thing people can do is not to bother with GAA Go leave it to them nobody is forcing you to pay it it's the only way to put manners on them yeah yeah, maybe so but for, for an awful lot of people these matches it's their social life you know it's their conversations it's what they chat about to their friends and, and all of that. Anyway, we know the cost of living crisis has gone through the roof this year, but we've been chatting to our listeners about a social media influencer called Carla Bellucci, who's revealed online that she's planning to charge relatives £150, about €173 Euro, so a pop, to enjoy her Christmas dinner. Now, one of our regular contributors and one of our regular panellists, Lena Ryan, joins me now. Lena, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Good morning, listeners. I, I think, Lena, I was just looking at your correspondence with us. You, you'd be in favour of this if you thought you'd get away with it. Is that it, Lena? <laughs> <laughs> I know I wouldn't get away with it, friend. And even if I did, you'd have a number of problems. How do you collect the money? What do you give them? How do, you know? Say you had ten people come and they all wanted ten legs. Would you need to have ten turkeys? <laughs> or, you know, uh, how would you cook it? Where would you sit them? You know, uh, would it be dairy free? Would it be gluten free? Oh, Vegan? God. Oh, would they want smoked ham or not smoked ham? Oh my God! I just I, need a, I forgot need a about all of that, Lena. I forgot about <laughs> all of the individual difficulties you might have with uh, people. Yeah. And then you'd have the other thing was, I don't want to sit beside Johnny and Johnny doesn't sit beside Millie. But the other, the one that really kind of got me when I was thinking about it, how do you get rid of them when the dinner is over? (laughs) I know. You want to sit back and watch your silly movie or, you know, have a a nice, quiet, relaxing drink after cooking the dinner all day. No, you'd be stuck with them. You'd be stuck (laughs) with them. Yeah, yeah, you would. (laughs) And and as the drink takes effect, then they'd be reminding you about how much it costs to be there in the first place. But as well as that, would you be providing the drink as well? Is that included in the hundred? It's, it's a glass of champagne, she says, a glass. But, you know, for 170 euro, I'd expect the bottle. I'd expect more than one, friend. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I, I mean, it's, I, I, I just think it's, every Christmas is about time of sharing and giving. Yeah. And if you want to invite your family, and most families, I think, are sensible in these, these days. Everybody, would, I mean, for years and years, like me and my girls went to my mom mm. uh, for Christmas dinner. And my, my, she would always, Lord Mercy and the good lady, she would always do the turkey and ham. And some of us would bring the desserts and some would bring the treats, some would bring the drinks and some would bring the games. And it's, it's, about, it's about getting together. It's not about what it's going to, you're going to charge somebody. I'd rather, I'd rather stay at home and have a cheese sandwich. Um, and rather than be doing something like that, I don't think it would be any fun at all. Of course. This lady is one of these influencer people, so I I presume she was throwing this out as some sort of uh, an effort to, to get more... Uh, likes well, and get more views and stuff, yeah. I, I hope, Fran, I'll be an influencer in a different way, you know, to... That's <laughs> <laughs> a hope of it, but, you know, yes, and if, if that's what, you know, if that's what people start to do, we're losing, we're losing the, the, the sense of people and getting together. And Christmas is about giving. It's not about giving a glass of champagne know, that can yeah. cost you 100 It's about giving, you know, hello, have a cup of coffee with me, come and visit me, you know, come and spend some time with me. And I think that's what... That's, you know, I think if you looked at care last Saturday evening, I just thought it was absolutely wonderful. Now, I'm sure other towns and villages yeah, around the county yeah. as well. But just the, the, 
the activity, the spirit and the inclusiveness. Everybody on the volume, from the little kids with their tractors. And people were buzzing, people were chatting. My two little grandchildren, uh, they don't, they said, they were, no, they were, they weren't telling me the truth. We spent the evening in the pub, Manny. Isn't it just, and I mean, we're all talking about, you know, the protests and uh, difficulties around the country and people not agreeing with each other and be, being more polarised. But to see people just getting on, enjoying themselves, a festive spirit, that's really special, Lena. That's what, it, you're right, okay. that's what it's about. Even if you have 10 people around your table and yeah. all you can do is a cheese sandwich or a ham sandwich, it's about, you know, what you get and what you give to those people, you know, that last you through tough times and through bad times. As I said, I drove through here last Saturday evening. Uh, I would have liked to have been part of the parade, but uh, we in Dublin are preparing for our, our show this week. So uh, I was very busy uh, doing stuff with that. But it just lifted me. I was tired. It just so lifted me. Yes. And everybody was in great. And like you had people coming from Duel and people came from all over to be part of it and make it special. And I think the other thing, I really appeal to people to support the lights in care because the lights are fabulous, you know, on the bridge and everywhere. And they don't come cheap, yeah. but it, it lifts everybody and it lifts people in a way that, that you don't see. You know, you just walk down the street and you're smiling. And that, as I said, this, this, this article kind of, this thing made me smile, friend, because I was thinking about how horrendous it would be to try and collect the money, cook the dinner, and then I was I was absolutely roaring laughing, and I was thinking, oh, my bottle of brandy would be gone by nine o'clock on Christmas morning, you know, and there'd be no dinner. Oh, gee, I'll tell you, I'd, I'd love to see the dinner you prepare after the bottle of brandy. Are you, are, I'm gathering from what you're saying to me, Lena, that you're Christmassy. You like Christmas, do you? I love I love, yeah. love, love Christmas, but I do think, Fran, and I think we need to really remember this. It can be a very, I find it lonesome. I always think about the people I that I that are, that are away from me that I don't see, but also people that have gone. I do think it's, I've always thought it's a lonesome time, and we need to kind of think about that in our joy as well, that everybody might be, you know, mightn't find Christmas like we do, but I do love it. Mm. I do, and I make a big effort. I, you know, I do, I do love it. I think it's the one time of the year you can just maybe for two or three days forget everything. The other thing, Fran, I have to say, and I think it's wonderful what one of our big supermarket chains are doing uh, this Christmas, not opening Stephen's Day and, and giving their staff a chance. I yeah. think consumers yeah. need to be cognizant of that as well. But I think it's great because what they work so and, hard. And what, what, uh, what outlet is that, uh, Lena? That's Little. Little are doing that. Okay. They, they've announced and they've announced it already that they won't be open Stephen's Day. And I just think, like, you know, we can all be. It's one day, we can all be finished Christmas Eve at 12 or 1 o'clock. Let the people that are working get out a bit earlier and get home to their families, have chill time and enjoy it. You know, um, I just think we just need to, to pull back a little bit. But I just thought it was lovely uh, when I when I saw it was little. And I'm sure other stores will follow. And uh, it's just the, the people will drive this. We should be driving this saying, you know, let's let's give everybody a chance and, 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 and rightly so too and and to hang on to our tradition and our culture of Christmas because I think it's so so important now we'd be rather anti-social we don't have anybody in nor do we go out but it's yeah. always been sort of just just family, Lena. You know, so th well. That's that's what, like as I said, yeah. we've always done that. We've always gone to my mum. Yeah. And now uh, my daughter has two children. She has a bigger house than I have. So me and my other daughter go there. Yes. So, and I, I, the one day I don't really care whether I see people or not. But I, I, if, if there was somebody on their own, I would make I sure in the morning that they were okay. And most people 
like that. It's just a kind of, it's just, a, I don't know, it's a downtime, it's a family time. You could be in the pyjamas or you could be dressed up to the nines and stuff your face and slob out on the couch. With it. I know, <laughs> sure, isn't it lovely? It was a real coincidence, really, that the three people we spoke to about this yesterday had all suffered loss, some of them great loss indeed. So Christmas, as you say, for them... Uh, won't be as joyous as for, for others, Lena, you know? Oh, so, you know, it won't. Yeah. And I, like, I'm very cognizant of we have one fantastic family in Ballyluby that are still suffering from a great tragedy. And they are normally so buoyant and so lovely. And they are really trying. And I, I admire them so much. But you can see the loss and the, see the sorrow and see the missing. And I'm cognizant of that too. But, you know, as well as that, they, you know, they, they want to, to, to be joyous. For of themselves course. and for others, but yeah, you have to be really, have to be really careful. Of but, course, you, you have know, indeed. Yeah. Lena, before I let you go, because you're a sporty, can I can I drag you into that controversy about GAA Go and uh, what they're doing this year? I'm not sure if you're across that, but uh, <laughs> uh, a little bit, Fran. And, yeah. uh, I, w- I was across it last year. I I am an avid GAA person, avid sportsman. I point blank, blatantly refuse. I missed Tipperary's first game last year because I refused to pay GAA Go. We pay membership. We support our clubs nationwide. It is purely a money thing. It is an absolute disgrace, and it is greed. On my, in my personal belief, on behalf of the GAA, I just wouldn't. I have, I haven't gone to a GAA game this year because I also refuse to pay to do, you know, to pay online because I think that is excluding a significant part of our overpopulation. And I think this, this, this is getting worse and worse. And people that really, like you say, it's their social life, but they've grown up with it. I've grown up with it since I was born, yeah. you know. And yeah. like, I, you know, but I, that, that, this all, book online and do it online, internet around the country isn't good enough. It's very difficult at times. I've tried three times because I had visitors from out of state coming to, to go to a game and I couldn't, I was almost at the ground before I could get it online. It's very frustrating. I think, you know, it's, um, I, I think it's all wrong. In story, at all levels. All right. Well, well said, Lena, and great, to t- and a happy Christmas to you and yours, Lena. If I don't see you before Christmas, but thank you so much, Lena. Thank you. No bother. Happy Christmas thank to you. you and to all the listeners as well. Thank right. you. Bye bye, Lena. Bye bye. Uh, that's uh, our great friend Lena Ryan there speaking to us this morning. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. Text WhatsApp o eight three three double one double three double one. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. The welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. Huge amount of people getting involved in our conversation about uh, GAA Go. A lot of people very, very cross uh, about it. It almost mirrors the exactly the conversation that we had earlier on this year about uh, GAA Go, but it appears they're not returning in any way on that uh, 083 311 It's Christmas in Thales. And that's your cue to call where our promotion is uh, concerned because, of course, we're celebrating the fact that Christmas is fantastic for shopping in Thurles. We have two vouchers to give away for Lenan's carry-out uh, off-licence on Liberty Square in Thurles and uh, the Boomerang Country Store on the Dublin Road as well. So that's your cue to call 083 311 or indeed you can speak to Emma on 1800 938 007. Now Mansur al Daifi is a Yemeni who uh, was held without charge 
in the United States, Guantanamo Bay detention camp in Cuba from February the 9th, 2002 to July 11, 2016. He was only 18 at the time of his incarceration. He's in Ireland to, to promote his book, Don't Forget Us Here, and to promote the Close Guantanamo uh, campaign. And I'm delighted to say that he joins me in Studio Mansur. Good morning to you. Uh, first of all, I would like to greet the Irish people. I would to say in the Yemen, in the Yemeni tribal greeting, I would say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Ya hala wa marhaba. Arhibu. Hayakum Allah. Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaba. Malyon arhibur hibur hibu. This is a Yemeni uh, greeting to the I Irish people. It. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. What, yeah. what should I respond to that, Mansour? Uh, basically, it said, peace, uh, peace be upon you all. And like, right. welcome and welcome. This like how we greet each other in Yemen. Like, this is also when you uh, greet uh, my tribe. So <laughs> Very good. It's so, it's so colorful, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah, yeah. It, it is very, wonderful. like, very, very welcoming. So I was, also, I would like to first, before we start, I would like to thank you for having me here today. I would like to thank the Irish people and very hospitable and very kind, nice people. And I would like to thank the Irish government. I'd like to thank especially the Claire Daly and Mick Wallace for for getting me this opportunity to come to Ireland and to speak about the closure of Guantanamo and also on the book tour. So my my main mission here is to talk about the closure of Guantanamo, which was I have been advocating since I was in Guantanamo. So I am... Mm. And, and we'd love to hear the story because there's such mystery surrounding Guantanamo. But would you take me back a little, though? Um, you 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 came from Yemen, did you not, to Afghanistan? Why why did you do that? Uh, in short words, I was uh, uh, on a research mission. I was I was in a, a researcher uh, assistant, basically at, at, the, at the age of eighteen, to uh, do some research on the new groups, Al Qaeda and Taliban, and so and so on. And so one of the Yemeni Institute went to uh, the head of Yemen Institute went to, to write a book about the new groups. Uh, mm. At that time, it's like at that time there was no Google, no Facebook, no reference, nothing. You have to go there by yourself, collect information, facts, and so on. And as you know, what does it, what, what does it take to take um, to write a book? So I was in my I, when I finished my high school, I wanted to go to study in one of the Gulf countries to study computer science, mm. and so in exchange to help this institute for the research, I would get scholarship in return. So oh, I said, yeah, why not? I would, do, I would do it because we had only one private college for uh, computer science and oh. it was very expensive. So I, the, the institute would give like free scholarship in United Arab Emirates as I want to take that So chance. this was an opportunity for yes. you. What happened in Afghanistan? Then? What happened in Afghanistan? The, the moment you go to Afghanistan there, you, you see, you, you feel you're trying like 1,000 years back mm-hmm. because the Soviet invasion, the civil war, the country like in total devastation, the only things that connected to the modern life, motorcycles and cars, that's it. You know, the severity, the the devastation, the, you know, the destroyed vehicles mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So you are totally disconnected from the rest of the world. There's no TVs, nothing. People will have like those radios, mm-hmm. listen to the news, that's it. So when 9-11 happened, we didn't know three days later, and we were in the restaurant and someone said there is an attack on the United States. We didn't pay atten- much attention mm. to it because... This was 9-11, of course. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. So basically, and uh, the, our contact point in Afghanistan was like a Saudi charity organization. And he said, we have to leave because they get some instruction that you need to look with everything and leave. Mm. So I, I wanted to help those guys to to get rid of the stuff they have for medical, medicine, you know, like logistic stuff. 
So we were ambushed one of, by one of the warlords. They wanted to ransom from the church organization. Then when the U.S. airplane arrived in uh, invaded Afghanistan, those airplanes started uh, throwing leaflets, offering large bounties for anyone who can bring Arabs or Taliban or Al-Qaeda. So what happened? You know, the, for those people, this opportunity is a life-changing deal. So one of the warlords, when he, when he heard about us, he came and he took us from the, the, the younger one, the, 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 not the younger, the, the, the smaller warlord. Yes. And he sold me to the CIA as Al-Qaeda commander and Al-Qaeda insider. And if you can look here, Yes. Look, look at the foot in the middle. What right. So they sold you as being a uh, Taliban member. No, 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 no. They, I was sold to be Al Qaeda commander, Nalev insider. At age of eighteen, they said you are an Egyptian. You are mid. You are you are an Egyptian named Adil, and you are Al Qaeda. You like you are in mid, you are in like thirties. And I told them, no, I am Mansour. I'm from Yemen. I am only eighteen years old. So right. I was taken to the black side to the from by the CIA. By the way, you see at the photo here. And right, so the American, just for a listen, the American CIA then took you as yeah. being possibly a member of Al-Qaeda. Is that it? But they were collecting anyone. They were just anybody. Yes. Anybody, basically. Okay. So if, you, if you're there and you tell them this guy is Al-Qaeda, they get paid, they take you. So okay. basically, after 15 years, what they said here, and cleared if he actually joined Al-Qaeda. This is the, the government assessment. And yes. they, they refused to say we made a mistake. And according to the uh, American Civil Liberty Union, SALU, that 85, 86% of the prisoners of Guantanamo were either a mistaken identity or sold for bounty. Which, They're based, based on the government document. Okay, but uh, just just come back for me now. So, okay, you were, the CIA have you. Did you go straight? Were you brought straight to Guantanamo? Uh, no, point? I was kept three months in the black site in Afghanistan. Yes, uh, uh, under like and the black site is what? Black site is it's a death. It's a black death basically. I was stayed three months naked, hanged, in intensive interrogation, all kind of torture, waterboarding, beatings, no sleep at all. Almost like I I, I saw that they used to beat me in a barrel like this. And they ruled that they would shoot like they would, with guns. I, when I heard the, the, the shooting, I was like, I'm done. So you thought you were going to be killed? Uh, yes, exactly. So sometimes they would like flit with, with water and mercy me, like push right. me, like until I just right. come from consciousness. And, and, and just to get it out of the way, um, you had nothing to do with Al Qaeda mm -hmm. at any they time? They knew that. They I have nothing to do with Al Qaeda or Taliban. Mm -hmm. You know, when they came to, to interrogate me, they said, like, You're, you did money laundering, you traveled to uh, Malaysia, to, uh, they said you are involved in bombing in Africa. They, they were, the profile they have is like a, someone from Egypt. I'm, I'm from Yemen. I was only 18, I turned 19 in the black side. I was born 12, 12, 18, 1982. Uh, mm -hmm. So from there, after three months, I was, they moved me to Kandahar prison. Then I spent around like 25 days. Then they moved me to uh, Guantanamo. Guantanamo, you know, if we jump to Guantanamo, uh, dear listeners, buckle up because we are going to fly to Guantanamo. Don't worry, there will be no shackles, no orange suits, mm. nothing. You'll be safe. Guantanamo was created in 2002, mm. outside of the legal system, outside of our, outside of the law, outside mm. of our humanity. It's like a black hole within a military base. Mm. So no rules, nothing apply at Guantanamo, and not international treaties, not, not Geneva Convention, not the Kubia law, not the American law, nothing right. applies there. So there can be torture, there can be... You, can be, you have no whatever. rights there. Yes. Like, you didn't have a right to live. They control everything in your now, life. This, this has been acknowledged because Obama promised to, to close yeah, Guantanamo. Yeah, Obama, but he but failed because... He the failed. Yes, yes, basically, when, when we arrived at, at Guantanamo, like, I came encounter with the Irish... Irish people, in, not in, 
in 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 person. Yes. The first month when we arrived, we arrived camp X-ray. It's literally like fans and cement cages, like worse than animals. Even animals won't survive there. Ten people. We were uh, we when we arrived, there was like ten people in one in in, in like separated cages. So there was really mistreatment, torture, beatings. We weren't allowed to talk. We weren't allowed to stand. We weren't allowed to do anything. So what what should we do? We said, hey. People, we start protesting, like throwing stuff. No, and they said, we have to go on hunger strike. And the first time I heard about the hunger strike, what's hunger strike? They said, well, Gandhi and the Irish guys, like, who is the Irish guy? They said, well, the Irish guys went on hunger strike for 14 days. For the 10 of them or 12 of them went on hunger yes. strike. But they all died. I said, no, I don't want to die. So then we end up... But you did. You did go on hunger We strike. went on hunger strike for years. I spent three years on force feeding means yes. some people spent... Tell, tell me about that because I was reading about that. Tell me about the force feeding. Yeah. Uh, we will get to, to it later. Let's talk yeah. about... The, the, when we arrived at Guantanamo, 800 men and children arrived at Guantanamo. The youngest prisoner was a few months old. The oldest was 105 years old. So you have 50 nationalities, more than 20 languages spoken. Those men, as I told you, what the, based on the government document, they were brought from different parts of the world. When the United States announced a global war on terror, they were, you know, their core rendition was the kidnapping. Mm. People mm. from Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, United Arab Emirates, Mauritania, Bosnia, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Africa, different countries. Um, all, all thrown together. Uh, they will just bring in people from different wow. parts of the world. And how many people are we talking about? How many we're people about were in? Like seven hundred seventy-nine men and children. Right. There was sixty children w w with us in, right. in, in. And you say the torture continued. What were they asking you? What did they want from you? You know, they didn't know what they want from us. Basically, they they have no profile. They have no information. Nothing. They went like, "Where is Sam Laden? Where is the nuclear bomb? Where is the dirty bomb?" Like it's kind of like bunch of files and photos and beatings mm. and you have different uh, intelligence agencies, the FBI, the CIA, CIA NSA, Homeland Security, military intelligence, all kind of, of, of stuff. It was up until 2003, mm. it was a turning point in Guantanamo. When someone arrived and I think you guys familiar with the name, General Jeffrey Miller. Yes, yes. He was, he is a worker now. That man before, he's the architect of Abu, Abu Ghraib in, in, in Iraq yes. and the torture and abuse. Before he was sent to Iraq, he was in Guantanamo and he started an, a torture program at Guantanamo. If you go now, if you uh, Google now, uh, Guantanamo America's Battle Lab, how that's also a research done by Seton Hall Law University, how the military, American military, Turn Guantanamo and experimenting on prisoners. 84 pages talk about how they use Guantanamo as experimenting on prisoners, right. interrogation. And he drove this. He, 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 no, he... Uh, the, the, the torture memo was approved by uh, Darumsfield, yes. but he started developing the torture program. And the, the America's Battle Lab is a research about how Guantanamo turned to be an experimenting on prisoners. And you're not staying. What, what sort of experiments? You know, that experiment we're talking about psychologists who are supervised everything, interrogators, interrogators uh, um, um, advisors, consultant, they were, they said we are facing a new enemy. We need to know how to interrogate them, how to extract information that would save people on the field, how they talk, how they negotiate, how to recruit them, how to understand the mindset, because it was the perfect place if you look from their perspective. Why? Because it is totally disconnected from the world. It's mm -hmm. like a black hole. Yeah. There is no accountability. There is no rules applied there. 
Uh, and at the same time, you have all kind of Muslim mindset. You have all kind of category of age. From I told you, the youngest was three months old. The oldest was 105 years old. All kind of nationalities, 50 nationalities. So they divided Kuantanam into different camps. Each camp have different rules. And everything was done under the supervision of psychologists and consultant advisors. That's so, amazing. You, you admitted guilt at one point, didn't you? Was that under, under torture? I, I, you know, like when I was in the black side, I would tell them whatever they want because there is no... The, the problem was giving the details. Yes. Like, you didn't have... You, can make, you cannot make the details, but there is no... They want you to, to say, yeah, well, I was Al-Qaeda, I was that person. Now the details, you didn't have the details. Now the, the, the torture would go to the second level. So after three months, I think they figure out I wasn't the, the, their guy. I was sent to Guantanamo. And Guantanamo, the same thing. The, every year, uh, every six months or one year, a new interrogation, a new interrogation arrived, a new uh, uh, rules the, the, the yes. camp SOP that also written by General Jeffrey Miller is like uh, uh, SOP means standard operation procedure we call it as prison we call it shit on paper basically so that rules change in average of every two weeks and they would br bring uh, new guards new interrogators to train them how to interrogate how to communicate with prisoners how to you, you know all kind of things so and and the the torture was extreme, including waterboarding, which we've all seen on TV now on various different programs. And it looks horrendous. Did you go through that? We most of us went through that, like waterboarding, beating, slip deprivation. But you think you're drowning? You think you're? I mean, you know, there was like doctors were doctors or nurses there, and they do conducted the, the torture. They just make sure they they won't won't die. And when, before we talk about even Guantanamo, let's talk about the black sites, mm. where no one knows exactly how many people in prison died there. Many people died in the black sites. Even Gor Rahman, one of the Afghanis who died there, and the CIA refused to return his body. He was a taxi driver. And, you know, the senator shared reports on like 1,000 pages. And, you know, while one of the most tortured prisoners in the CIA history, it's called Abu Zubaydah. If you Google Abu Zubaydah, you will find how he how he was tortured. The CIA contracted two psychologists. They get paid around like four hundred million dollar to develop what they call enhanced interrogation technique. One one factor, one really factor uh, important in the in that game, uh, what they call it, uh, global war on terror. We call it actually war of terror. So, it's the manipulation of the ter terminology. So. What they call the kidnapping of people from different parts, they call it rendition. Enhanced interrogation technique, they call it uh, torture, they call it enhanced interrogation technique. You see, it sounds sweet, right? It's actually torture when you look at it. When you look at, at prisoners, they call them detainees because mm -hmm. they, they will, Geneva Convention want to include them. Uh, prison, uh, they call it like detention. Force feeding and hunger strike, they call it you know, assisting feeding. And the, the hunger strike, they didn't call it a hunger strike, they call it non-religious fasting. And some of us spent on hunger strike five, seven, 10, 15 years on force feeding. The force feeding, we, uh, you asked, they would bring a thick tube. They would let us like starve for some of us 60 days, 50 days, until I was taken 2013 to the intensive care unit, which almost died. And three days they revived me, then they start putting the thick tube through my nose to my stomach, and they would force him feed me at least twice a day. In 2006 was one of the worst years at, at Guantanamo. And that year, that year, we were in hunger. The force feeding started in 2002. I told you when we started the hunger strike. Yes. In 2006, again, we went a massive hunger strike by the end of 2005. 2006, a new group arrived at Guantanamo. 
new doctors, new administration. And one person, I think that our uh, listeners would recognize him. His name is Ron DeSantis. Mm, sure. Ron DeSantis, he was in Guantanamo. And he was the jack officer, the, the legal advisor, or the one who, when he came to talk to us at first, he said, mm. I'm here to ensure that you guys are treated humanely. After a few weeks later, they used the force feeding as a means of torture. And that man was there. After after he was there, he went to Iraq, uh, v- v- Fallujah, and we all know what happened there. Mm. Now he's running for the White House to be the president. Indeed. So He's the governor of Florida now. Of Florida, yeah. We, we, we talked about him, we did podcasts and so on, and the New York Times published entire article you know like tried to discredit my my account mm. not just me who recognized him there's like other five or four or five prison former prisoners who recognize him so when you took you know the torture never stopped mm. the and besides the waterboarding and the the force feeding and like what when you talk about torture what what else i mean was a lot of it psychological torture you know psych- that... psychological physical and mental torture basically when you, you know, beat everything, everything, everything at Guantanamo designed right. there to break you. They control everything. Solitary confined, for example, you have two meters and two meters and two meters cell. Half of the cell taken by a bed, and you have only one meter by two meters to to walk. Yes. You know, noise, very bright light, very cold, extreme cold or extreme hot. Could you talk to each other? No. In no. Solitary confined, they would bring uh, big fans yes. or like uh, that vacuum, noisy. Va- yes. uh, you know, vacuum. Uh, yes. um, that, noise and uh, if uh, sometimes they would they would uh, put uh, some stuff in the uh, air condition that you smell some wicked area yes. because the smell they put there under the control 24 hours basically uh, food punishment sometimes totally naked in ourselves uh, what about religion I mean your Muslim religion was was that was that recognized was that respected in any way you, you know it wasn't respected until we forced them to do so. Mm. And it's still, also part of the torture, part of the interrogation was the utilize of the religion to break the prisoners. They would bring um, uh, female to harass prisoners. Some of the interrogate females would take some of their blood and put it in the mm. prisoners' faces. They would take the Holy Quran, put it on their feet, throw it in the toilet, pee on it. So it was all kind, all of that, all of that, like they need to find how to break you. Some of them do it for, for enjoyment. Some of the, inter- you know, like what is interesting that some of the interrogators who interrogate us at Guantanamo, they were also interrogating, they were interrogating uh, Vietnam prisoner, uh, Vietnam, uh, Vietnam yes. prisoners in, during the Vietnam War. And yet they came to Guantanamo, then they went to Iraq. Right, so they were very experienced. Uh, in, in they were torturers. Was the there any attempt within the other detainees to radicalize you, though, in any way? Was there any attempt to do that? Because you obviously had great hatred, I presume, for these people you know, who were perpetrating this on you. You know, is. like, uh, at the beginning when we... we I, I know nothing, uh, personally, I know nothing. I didn't I didn't know much about Americans or America, you know. Yeah. It's like something we study in school or something, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, you were 17, yeah, 18. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. basically... But in a place like Guantanamo, I start looking at these Americans because we look at Americans through Guantanamo school. Yes. And the problem too, the Americans look at all Muslims through 9-11 school. And this big problem because the media... And one of the things that are interesting, like, people do not look before 9-11 how the relationship between Muslims and the United States and Muslims in general, they guess, okay, who did 9-11 are Muslims, you know? And they say, like, if you just go back few days before 9-11, you'll understand what the situation was and how the war on terror target Muslims across the globe, but the United States. It's not just Muslims, you know, everyone affected by the war on terror. So places like Guantanamo play breed hate, 
Blade Garage, Breed Garage, you know. Mm. So at Guantanamo, I went through stages, of course, and someone like, I went through fear, anger, hate. It was like going through a dark tunnel. And I was like, it was, I felt like dark inside my heart. But in order to go out of that tunnel, you have to go through it. I live it, I lived it. Level by level, mm. I went through those stages, but Alhamdulillah, I managed to go out of it. I, I, I refused to imprison myself. Yes, and I was going to ask you about that. I mean, how did you remain mentally strong? I mean, you came in here today, and you're very funny, and <laughs> you're good company, and we yeah. had a laugh, and we yes. had a photograph. I'm drinking uh, Emma coffee. Thank you, Emma. Yeah, well, her coffee is never very good, so what, what can I no, say No, it's really that? good. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, how did you... How did you have that mental strength to go through all of that darkness and come out of it like this? That... You know, resist. Resistance is the key. So resistance, it means, because what makes you as a unique person, as an individual from this like billions of trillions of human beings, what makes you as a unique person is your value, your morals, your ethics, your religion, your name, your memories, your knowledge, your experience, your relationship, your emotions, your nationality that what makes each of us as a unique individual person but places like guantanamo they turn you just turn you into just a number and they would they would strip everything from who you are and you were 411 i've always 441 so when people ask me i say i'm 441 yeah Yeah. so it is my i love it it's my number so that you know so when you arrived guantanamo in prison i spent 15 years around 15 years Someone asked me a question, said, how did you spend your 20s? And that question really shocked me to my core. Because last year, I was like, I, I just, I said, I don't know. I don't know what 20s means. And I was crying because, you know, I didn't know because I was I, taken from you. Yeah. And there's a lovely part in the book when you, you, you talk about, obviously you had no experience of women, for example. Because, no. <laughs> because you were so young. And, and you, you heard from older guys in, in Guantanamo yeah, and they told you stories about... And so on, and, yeah. yeah, and they, yeah. they told you about marriage and all, all of that. How did, you, how did you find out you were, you were being allowed out? What, what happened there? I mean, let me finish about what I was saying. Like, first of all, I would like to send my regards to a lovely lady I met yesterday. I have dinner with, with her family. She's like Laura Collins. Hey, Laura, yes. thank you so much for that dinner. The Irish people are very hospitable people. I love you guys. So basically, like, as I told you, the more you stay in prison, the more you are distant from your previous life, and the more your brain would, would start constructing a new memories, a new you, a new life, a new memories, a new relationship. What helped us to survive at Guantanamo? First of all, it was our faith. Because I'm, as a Muslim, we believe everything in the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I remember one day, one of the interrogators used to torture me. And he told me, your file in the our president desk, you will never hear. And I was like, I was like 19 years old. And I told him, I have a question. Do you think if your president got diarrhea, will be able to control his asshole? He said, no. I said, no. He cannot control me. It's like simple, uh, very simple mind, but it's something that's, strong that's behind That's how it. you kept strong. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So basically what killed us to survive at Guantanamo was we have each other. Yeah. We support each other. Also, there was also the, um, we we have like, since the lawyer came, there were our connection to the world outside. There were like, because in Guantanamo, we are totally disconnected from the rest of the world. Of course. The yes. only access to humanity and human life, the human connection with lawyers. And... We we start also resisting. Not everyone, honestly. You can read in the book the red eyes. When I visit the Kilman uh, Kilman uh, uh, prison mm. at the, Invis- the invincible, it's everywhere. You have a group of people in, in every prison. 
they would stand, they would fight, they of would. Of course, they would. Yes. So, yeah. And, and apologies because we're almost out of uh, time. But in terms of getting out, then you were told obviously one day you're yeah. out of here. Yeah, 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 yeah. In 2015, I was like clear. They have like administrative reviews called PRP, Periodic Review Board. Well, as, as I saw now, unclear if he actually joined Al Qaeda. And we have we have a debate with them. I said, hey. Either say he was Al-Qaeda or no. They said, no, we can say we detain an innocent man for 15 years. They wow. said, and in, my, in the report, they said, none of Al-Qaeda members, of Al-Qaeda leaders, recognize him member of Al-Qaeda. My country, the head of Yemeni intelligence came to Guantanamo. He brought special documents from the government. He said, this guy, he was, he, we, we know him because we have like uh, a reference letter to Yemen ambassador in Pakistan. So in short words, Guantanamo is a black hole. Guantanamo stands for, you know, it is implies torture, injustice, lawlessness, abuse of, of power. Mm. So what we are doing now, we are calling for the closure of Guantanamo. But what closing Guantanamo means? Means mm. the United States must acknowledge its doing, must uh, apologize for the victims. There must be reparation and compensation and accountability, accountability, accountability. That's what I'm fighting for. All right, it's it's the most amazing story, man. So you're in Tipperary, um, you're, you're, you're signing your book, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going tonight to sign the book signing yeah. and we have like a, also another event there. You guys invited to come, please. Very good. That's the Art Centre in Nina, isn't yes, it? Do yes. you know what time that's happening at? Uh, I don't know exactly the time, but I... Okay, well, we, we, we'll get it from, yeah. from Fergus and from yeah. Emma and we'll put it out uh, later on. The book, by the way, is is called... Um, the book is called Don't Forget Us Here. And I presume it's available in bookshops and it's, it's available, available online as well. It's uh, available bookstore in Dublin, also online. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm told 8 p.m. Nina Art Centre tomorrow, in fact. So it's yeah. tomorrow at uh, yeah. Nina Art Centre. Mansoor, it was a real pleasure. Real pleasure to meet yeah. you. And thank you so much for coming yeah. in. Yeah, thank us. you so and much. We and wish you well. Yeah, I would like to say thank you to the Irish people. I love the country. I love people of the hospitality. And I, you know, I, 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 learned, I have learned a lot for the last few days about the Irish history, resistance, and it actually inspired me a lot. All right. <laughs> thank great, you so much. Great to see you. And you look after yourself. Thank, thank you very you. much. And we'll take a break. Back with more in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie And you're very welcome back to Tip Today and it is time for our interior designer, Karen Prendergast, is with me. Karen, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran, and good morning to all the listeners. Now, we have a lot of sort of hopes for you this morning, Karen. We want you to cheer us up and well, we want I'm, you to put us in the Christmas spirit and I all of that. I am in that kind of form this morning. I'm a little bit giddy, so you're in luck. Are you Christmassy, Karen? Totally not. Oh, Absolutely, are you not? totally not. No, I would have thought you were. No, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how, what I feel about Christmas. Yeah. And I've got to tell you then about how I took down my Christmas decor, how I got my, got out my Christmas decorations and put them up and how I'm putting them back and I'm going to help people with... Uh, a plan to put them away. Were you, you peeping in our house a couple of days ago? Were you? <laughs> but going back to Christmas, yes. um, my I'm the 16th of December is my birthday, so I'm a Christmas right. baby, and um, I always look forward to the. I'm great for buying presents for other people and giving and and all of that, and even all year long. I thought of something coming in, I said I must say this: somebody I know got a car, a new car lately, and I met him. It's off the subject now, but mm, it's not really. Mm. And I met him. It's going back to Christmas and being kind. Because you don't need to just be kind at Christmas time. And I said, you know, like I said, I had to meet you today. It's the most beautiful colour care you ever got. And I wish you all the luck in the world. And you really deserve that care because you work so hard. Now, and I genuinely meant that to this person. But 
It's not just about Christmas giving a present mm. and being kind. It's all year long. It should be all year round. It's all year long. Yeah. Know, you yeah. know, and I have to say, from knowing you, friend, and he listens to you on the radio and everything, genuinely, you're such a kind person. Mm. And that comes across. Well, I try to be, but... Well, you are, mm. and it comes across, you know, when you're talking and um, to, to people on air, and it's not a gift that everybody has. Oh, well, thank you very much. You know, very nice but anyway, going back to Christmas, love the build up to yeah. Christmas, love. I plan the plan my gifts early and get them all out of the way. And if they're lucky, you know, if I'm lucky enough that they're on offer or whatever, certain things, you know, you, you, you buy them along the way and have everything ready really early. But Christmas Day and the whole lot, I just don't get it. That's amazing. And you'd be into cooking and stuff, wouldn't love you? The cook, you love the cooking. Love the cooking. So you you love remember all I said I did yeah, a cooking course myself and my husband this year yeah. for a week and absolutely loved it. And into the cooking, we made plum jam on Sunday and um, from plums that I had got from out the road and um, yeah. from a farm. But um, yeah, Christmas, no, not good. And I think for me, being a bit of a softy, I miss the people that aren't here at Christmas course, time too. Yeah. And you know, that's what has come across the last couple of days we're talking about this. Yeah. That that seems to be, you know, yeah. it's, it's one of those times that yeah. it can be lonely. It can be it lonely can be, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a lot of my family around me and we're all kind of in care and whatever, but I do find it a bit lonely ah, at times. Interesting. Anyway, you're going to cheer us up well, now, aren't you? now. Yes, okay. I got out my Christmas decorations. I said to John, <laughs> would there be any chance that you'd get out the Christmas decorations last week? Uh-huh. And I attempted them last Friday. So what we have is they're almost like two small coffins. They're black boxes about maybe six foot long, two foot, maybe two and a half foot deep. And the top clips on and clips off. And I have um, I have a beautiful jester. So it's a life size jester and it's cream. It's gorgeous. And he goes into one box with some other decorations and the whole lot. And I have a small kind of it's a weeping willow tree. So I have that as well. And that that and all my other items. That's my Christmas tree is a weeping willow that lights up. It's fantastic. And I have my full size jester then. It's six foot. And I sit him on a chair. Right. Uh, a Paris chair, and What's I make a Paris a, chair? Uh, it's a it's a it's a cream chair, and it's kind of real Parisian uh, okay. Paris style, and it says Paris on the seat. Actually, mm. and I sit jester on that, and I do my weeping willow, and I have few lovely, very nice white decorations. So I make a story in a corner. Okay. So the jester forms part of the story with very the good. weeping willow, and that's it every year. But anyway. Uh, last year I could even be no I think it was only last year we got these black like coffins Mm. and they're absolutely brilliant everything goes in there so I can take them back out again now the size of the boxes that we have they're plastic containers um, they'd be hard to get up into an attic but we have them out in the shed okay so for somebody that has an attic they mightn't be the easiest thing to get up but I would say to everybody and you know, you need to plan putting your Christmas decorations away oh, you do. for next you year. You do, friend. because we were taking them, I think it was two days ago, and there's always a row when we're taking yeah. down. So, because there's bits in a box here and bits yeah. in a box there, and they're broken and they're not working. So if you had if you had plastic containers that you could see, yeah. and to be honest, you won't see everything that you put in, but if you had some bubble wrap or you had some tissue paper or you had some cling film mm. that you could, you know, wrap well, them it's, all it's up. It's worth that hour of trouble, I think isn't it's, it? I, yeah. Absolutely. For the last several years, it's been worth it for me. And what I would do um, with Christmas decorations as well, or if I was storing anything when I was moving house or at, and I'd get an A4 piece of paper and I would get a black marker 
and it would label on the outside of every box what's in the box. So you don't have to go rooting in a box if you don't want to. So if there's some Christmas decorations, do you ever find this, friend, that there's some lights that are old or there's some dis- mm. Christmas decorations that you mightn't use, they should go into a box and put on them did not use last year. Right. And on the boxes then that you're putting, putting them away, whether they're brown carpet boxes, you'll be able to get them free in shops or whether they're plastic mm. containers or whatever, label them, put a label on them and label them. And I just love your idea... You're saying to me, you, you, you're sort of cordon off a corner. Is that it? So, in other words, the whole house isn't spread no, out. No, the whole house stuff. isn't spread okay, out. I, love I can't that do idea. that. And what I would I do then in idea. our. So, that our front room, which is our sitting room, would have this beautiful. And it's beautiful now. I do it lovely. And um, as is anyone's house, they do it the way they want yeah, to do yeah. it. So, everybody's house is beautiful. And then in the kitchen, I'll have maybe a few uh, tea lights. And then I always get amaryllis flowers and um, some eucalyptus. Um, Irish eucalyptus and I use that and I do some nice big okay. uh, vase of flowers in the in the kitchen stroke living area and that's it. Right, very good. But you don't have to traipse off and buy lights every year because they're broken and stamped on. Sure you don't, Karen. No, I don't. See? So I would say anybody, if they can get a roll or whatever and um, something that's hard and wrap your lights around it and do it the right way because it wouldn't take any more than an hour to put away all your um, Christmas decorations and label them and do them right. Very good indeed. You have a mood board. Will you tell me about your mood board? board. And again, you're going to put this up for... I'm going to put it up. So on the mood board, what I have... So today I'm going to talk about simple and speedy ways to update and decorate your home in a weekend. Now, when I thought of this topic, I thought of this topic maybe for after Christmas, when people take down their Christmas decorations and the place is looking a little bit tired. So what I'm going to be talking about is... um, First of all, we always talk about this and it's the thing that you say that you're never sure of either. Canvas prints can add a stylish touch and they're cheap and Mm. they're reasonable. So, artwork on your walls is a fantastic way to inject personality and style into your home. Sleek canvas prints offer a contemporary and sophisticated touch that can elevate any room. Now, this is really important. You need to choose the pieces of art that you like that are to your taste Mm. and to your decor. Don't go down to town and buy prints because I said go and buy canvas prints if you don't love them. You, I you believe, have to like them. I believe no matter what I have hanging up in the walls, uh, I need to like it. Hmm. So whether it's a landscape or a, a family collection, you can get canvas prints now with uh, families' photos printed onto them and the whole yeah. lot. Um, and you have a blank wall, it's going to be a great focus. And point. you know, Karen, some of your mood board is answering my question about prints because there's one or two in particular where... Some of the prints are very different, yeah. but they work. But they and I work. was wondering about that. Did you have to so have some is, uniformity? Uh, yeah, I think the uniformity needs to be that um, colour-wise that they have something in common. Okay. Okay. Second of all, that they have something in common with what's in the room. So that is, i.e., we'll pretend it's a sitting room. Okay. That it, the, whatever the flooring is, the colour on the walls, the colour of the couches, that they that some of the colour that are in those items is also in your right in your prints if they're not black but, and white but if you take that, that that one now in particular they're all very different prints but they work but they're all the same frame oh right okay so that looks really uniform to you but they're all different prints inside in it but all the frames are the same okay so if you look at this one here it's a green room and the green are walls similar. the prints are similar yes. but all the frames are the same size then if we look at the one down low all the prints are most of them are a different size. Right. But the whole... And that works brilliantly as well. Because it tells a story. Yeah. So they're the right... Um, 
they're the right distance apart. They're not too far apart. So it tells a whole story together. Mm, right. In terms of then getting prints like that, I mean, I, I see them a lot in some of the bigger name outlets and so, and they look pretty good. They look, they look pretty good. And they're very reasonable. Yeah. And you can also, in, in a couple of outlets, you can buy the frames with no prints in them and they also send, sell the prints alongside. So you can buy um, the prints separate. To, mm. So you're not buying a whole picture. You know, you're yes. not buying a frame and a picture. You can do that as well. So that's, that is common enough now. Right. And uh, the other thing about it is, I mean, how do you judge what will work in your home? I mean, what looks lovely in a shop and it might even be a little bit outrageous. You say, oh, I'm not so sure if I took that home now. I would say don't be afraid of what you see in the shops. Right. And it's very important that if you're going into some of the bigger shops that they have pictures very up high in walls and like, yeah. you know, we're always saying this like warehouse style um, showrooms and the whole lot. Check your size to make sure it fits. But if you look at any of the pictures that I have there, friend, they're all very uniformed, aren't they? This yes. is very uniformed. The colour scheme that's in the room, the floor, the walls, the furniture is picked up in the pictures. So is this one. Okay. So is this one. You see, I didn't notice that. I knew it worked, but I didn't yeah. notice that. Yeah. So it's always, you're always in a room, whether it's a hallway, a kitchen, a bedroom, a bathroom, a sitting room, you're always building a story. You're building on what you like. You're building on the basics in the room. So you're taking the floor, you're taking the walls, you're taking the fireplace or the bathroom suite or whatever. And if you're adding accessories, you're always building on what you ha already have there. So you're not going off on a wild tangent. And when you bring something home, it doesn't work, but you don't know why it works. So anytime that you're buying accessories, you think about the basics in the room, and you work, you take it from them. So, for instance, I'm going to come on to rugs in a few minutes. But mm. anyway, rugs are a great way of adding a texture into a room, um, bringing a different dimension to a floor. If it's mm. if it's it's very flat and plain, um, adds a bit of warmth. But you need to buy your rugs with this that they fit into the room that you already have. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, Karen. Should the rug dominate the colour scheme or should it sort of fit in with the You see, I would go shopping quite often with clients for all accessories mm. when we're coming maybe to an end of a job or it might be just once off that a job needs accessories. And they'll say, I'd love a burst of colour. Mm. So someone might have, let's see, a timber floor, a very pale neutral colour on the walls and maybe say blue couches mm. for instance blue or grey couches and I'll go into a shop with them <clears throat> and they set their heart on a rug a cream rug that has orange and green and blue and pink in it mm. you know and I'll have to say to them well if you, you, there's no problem you can have that rug but it's not really going to elevate your room enough Go it's ahead. going to look Gaudy. It's going to look out of place. So you're much better getting a rug. For instance, it's going to be maybe a neutral colour that has some blues and greys and tops in that. It's it's going to elevate your room to the extent that you need, but it's not going to be gaudy. And you can turn that around and say the same for a print. So sometimes people go into a shop and they see these wild and wonderful accessories and they love them. Mm, mm. But they just mightn't be the job for the room that they're doing up. Yeah, you see, that's why I think we need somebody like you. Because I, you're right, I would set my heart on something that is outrageous in some way. Yeah. But I wouldn't buy it because I wouldn't be sure. Will that actually Yeah, work? and you know, and I suppose it's to think out, well then, well, I really love that, but why wouldn't it work in my room? Mm. Maybe there's a reason. That you, you you know, your gut is telling you I love it, but it probably won't work. So mm. often, 
And often the neutral cam, if we, again, I'll put this mood book mood board up but if we look at what's there they're all calm classical black and white neutrals greens tops and they work all day long Yes, and I could see, I mean, in any of those rooms, I could relax in them. You could, there's, there's and I would say the majority of those rooms, myself or yourself, would like them. Yeah, I, I, I think they're beautiful. Too, and, and just before we move on, I, I, I love the wallpaper behind the prints in that one. Yeah. You know, where that works. And again, wallpaper's one. great. It yeah. adds a bit of texture. Um, I'm doing actually a, it's a big, a very big kitchen come, uh, kind of living, kitchen comes, um dining area come conservatory and on one section of it we've got um, a wine bar mm. cocktail bar I love that and underneath where we've built in all the presses it's absolutely fantastic we're, we've got one roll of wallpaper a texture wallpaper and in behind um, we say we've all our units and um, where the barrier is yeah. we're putting a textured very neutral wallpaper on the back of that and what I'm trying to find but I haven't found them yet is two brass or gold globe ball lights oh, very nice. and we're going to light those up and that gold or brass is going to bring in the colour of the taps and the, the door handles and the door knobs on the kitchen and whatever but when you get down to the, when I get down to the nitty gritty on a job because sometimes that particular job I'm on it probably a year and a half but some jobs I never get to see the bits and pieces going right. in and other jobs then I get to see all the finishes Which going must be in lovely. it's so it exciting to get to that stage so, so in terms of uh, you know doing a bit of a turnaround over a weekend we're talking about the prints uh, the rugs um, uh, lighting you mentioned re- as well. reimagine and rearrange your furniture Okay, right, so okay. move your furniture around. You might. I get calls all the time. Look, Karen, I'm just fed up with the sitting room. I'm fed up with the house. Will you come and have a look? And it might mean rearranging furniture, uh, um, looking at the lighting. Lighting is always so important, whether that's lamps or change of fittings in the ceiling. Um, rearranging furniture, um, making more space, decluttering. I'm saying mm. rearranging furniture, but then decluttering could come into that because it might be a bit too much going on in a room. Yes. Um, and just opening up your eyes to what you have and see, can you put it to better use someplace? Can you declutter? And if, if you are doing that and it doesn't work anyplace else, get rid of it. Oh, right, OK. And cushions and throws and that kind of thing? Really will bring your... And again, I'm ta- thinking the topic this week, that when you take down your Christmas decorations and you're thinking you want to repaint or you're fed up and it's a bit, you know, the room is a bit dreary or you've moved stuff out and now you don't know whether you want to move it back in or not. Mm. The room nearly looks better maybe when there's less stuff in yes. it. Um, these are tips really for, for after Christmas. So rugs, throws, um, cushions, lights, um um, lamps they're so cheap in all right. the stores I was going to ask you about that are there bargains out absolutely, there absolutely there's yeah. bargains out there and you know a lot of the bargains are going to be before Christmas and there will be plenty after Christmas as well and I always I'm a firm believer in whether it's buying a couch buying uh, blinds buying whatever for a house mm. I always say this open your mouth ask for discounts shops are delighted to get your business it's been a really busy week be, a busy year for the likes of me mm. and for shops out there and shop local people want your business and mm. don't be afraid to ask for a little bit of discount or don't be afraid to say look I'm interested in this couch or I'm interested in these accessories in such a shop will there be discount coming after Christmas and if there is why not hold off you could be saving 20, 30, 40, 50% It's very interesting indeed and the other thing I got from you today as well we, we might want to revisit how we decorate the house for Christmas as well because a lot of us do the very same thing every blooming year we put the tree in the same place We put the. it, it might be worth rethinking that as well 
I think so because you know um, and it's a good idea you know when you see the ads coming on for Christmas and the magazines and the Christmas shows and all if you see something you like it's the same with the house when I'm talking about any room the house if you see something you like cut it out take a picture take a picture of it on your phone and reimagine that in your own house mm. so mm. I'm gone from I'm gone long gone from the tinsel and I don't mean that in a funny way but the mm. tinsel and the whole lot the coloured lights and everything now I have it elegant simple streamlined it fits into two boxes it's done it's dusted and I'm done no big deal no big deal so no I will big tell row. you no big row I can tell you honestly my decorations will take me uh, probably because I bubble wrap some stuff and everything maybe 40 minutes to put back and they're gone into the corner till next year the two black boxes plastic containers will come out again and it will take me a half an hour to put up my decorations Sounds good to me. Karen, if people want to talk to you, how can they do that? They can contact me on 086-606-9009. That's Mm -hmm. 086-606-9009. My um, uh, website is interiorconcepts.ie and on Facebook and Instagram, I'm Interior Concepts. Very good. And if people want to have a look at our mood board... I'll put it up when I go home. All right. Great to see you, Karen, and happy Christmas to you, and thank you so much. Uh, News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back. Yeah, a lot of people on to us to say uh, that it was a fascinating story from Mansur. Al Daifi, there he is in the Art Centre in Nina tomorrow night from about uh, 8 o'clock and uh, it's it's one hell of a story, uh, that's for sure. Now, our vouchers going to, um, let me see, it's Bridie Hennessy from Mulnahone winning the uh, Lenans carryout licence uh, voucher. They're based on Liberty Square in Thurles. And uh, well done to Steve Cummins of Tumavara who won the Boomerang Country Store uh, voucher there based on the Dublin Road out of Thurless there and of course this is all by way of celebration of Christmas shopping in Thurless. Now it's time for this week's Conspiracy Files and Ellie is with me. Good morning to you Ellie. Morning friend. What are we delving into this week? Ellie? Well this week we're looking at the moon landings Aha. and this is kind of back in the news again because Russian government officials came out last week to say that after a long investigation that they have conducted they have determined that the landings in the 60s were faked by the US. Now, of course, this is a long-standing kind of conspiracy. Mm. I think from the moment Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on the moon on July 20th of 1969, I think the rumours were almost immediate that the whole thing had been staged. Now, it kind of came in and out of, um, I suppose, our space over the decades. And science journalist Richard C. Hogland wrote his book in 2007 called Dark Mission. And he claimed in that that he saw NASA officials handing out flyers at the time of the landings, warning people that they were fake and not to get freaked out by it. Now, despite the fact thousands of pictures are faked and moon rocks were brought back and 30% of Americans at that time indeed believed that the moon landings were fake. At that was the, t- there, at at the, the time. time. Wow. 30% of Americans who were polled believed that they That's were fake. That's incredible. Now, this wasn't helped either by the number of movie references at the time because it, um, the idea behind it, I think, was turned into ideas for movies. Mm. You had the James Bond movie, Diamonds Are Forever. 
There's a scene in that where James Bond breaks into a warehouse where he finds government agents filming a fake moon landing. There was also the movie called Capricorn One. Now, that told the story of man landing on Mars, but as it turned out in the end of the movie, the whole thing had been faked. Now, this drove a suspicion of the moon landings during the 70s. It faded a little bit in the 80s, but then had a resurgence again during the 90s and into the noughties. It caught on big time with millennials, particularly with the kind of birth of TikTok and Mm. Twitter. So people were able, they had a, a place now where they could bring their ideas, they could bring their pictures, they could ask questions and they would have like-minded people who would kind of study it with them and kind of agreed with them. Mm. There was also this documentary during the noughties. It was a Bart Sebrel film and it's called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Moon. And as part of that... He was adamant during the whole documentary that he was going to get an interview with Buzz Aldrin and sit down with him and make him confess that the whole moon landing had been faked and Buzz Aldrin was part of that fake. Um, What he asked him to do as part of that documentary, he doorstepped him. So he walked up to him in the street as he was coming out of a building. He put a Bible out in front of him and asked him to swear on the Bible that he really went to the moon. It didn't end well for him. It featured in the documentary. It's the first clip I have. You really like it, you're the one who said you walked on the moon when you didn't. Calling the kettle black, if you ever thought of it. Saying Will I you misrepresented get it myself. Away from me. You're a coward and a liar and a thief. Whoa. He got a punch from Buzz Aldrin. Punched him, wow. Now, there was a bit, a, a big kind of build up to that. I mean, he was stalking him for weeks before right. that. So Buzz Aldrin just finally had enough on it. But for the conspiracy theorists, this was enough for them to say, well, he's not admitting that he went to the moon and he's avoiding the question. So this definitely shows it was fake. So this documentary and Buzz's reaction to it kind of reignited mm. that whole conspiracy then again. Then, of course, you have Joe Rogan, the king of podcasts and for a lot of people, the king of conspiracy. Mm. He did a number of shows about the moon landing, which launched the theories to a new and wider and younger audience. Here's some of what he said on his show. I've looked at a lot of very compelling documentaries that explain why they think it was hoaxed. And they'll show you some footage and you can look at some of the footage and it looks fake. There's some footage that to me looks really doctored. There's to this some day. yeah, to this day. Okay. Some when you ever seen ones where it looks like they're on wires, like the astronauts are on, on wires? I have. There's some where there's a video where they look like they're on a trampoline, they're bouncing around on trampolines. Mm-hmm. The physics are different in different videos. This right. is where it gets weird. Like the physics are different from the Apollo 11 moon landing. We see them waddle around on the surface of the moon. They're moving at like half speed. And then you see them in other ones, like the one where they bounce around the air. You're like, well, they're moving different. They're in the same thing, right. but it looks different. The first one was very grainy. They showed it on a uh, projection screen. Right. There's a couple different possibilities. One possibility is it just looks weird because it's on the moon, and your brain is trying to interpret it, and your brain's going, well, that's fake, because you don't really understand what one-sixth Earth's gravity really does to a body. Is, yeah. That's one possibility. Yeah. Another possibility, which has been shown to be true, is that some of the stuff that they passed off as being legitimate photographs of space travel was actually test runs where they blacked out the background and pretended that they were in space. And there's one really clear example of this. It's Michael Collins. Michael Collins was a guy who was aboard Apollo 11. Right. And Gemini 15, there's a photo of him... Uh, in uh, the middle of a spacewalk, and he's got this harness on, he's holding on to this, like, thing. And it, it was apparently 
just an image that had already been published of him in a training exercise. And they blacked out the background and flipped the picture up, upside down. Does that mean that they faked the moon landing? No, but it means that people fake things. So you got to throw, like, got to be really objective and looking at that. Right. Okay, so people say fake things. They definitely filmed a lot of the um, the training exercises that they did of the moon landing. Right. They filmed a lot of shit. They right. definitely did. If that has already been proven that they took this fake photograph and they tried to pass it off as a real space one, right. it's entirely possible that some of the stuff that they filmed they made out to look like they were on the moon when they were not. But does that mean they didn't go to the moon? No, it and, doesn't. Uh, that's Joe Rogan, Ellie. Is there evidence that it's a fake? Is there absolute Well, I'm evidence? not too sure if there's evidence, but I mean, there, there are a lot of clues that would kind of help you make your determination one way or the other. Like when you think of it, right, the Russians won a lot of the, the first part mm. of that space race. They put the first man-made object into space with Sputnik 1 in 1957. They put the first animal in space with Laika the dog in 1972. She didn't survive, by mm. the way. They also followed that with two more flights with animals that did survive. They had the first man with Yuri Gagarin, the first woman with Valentina Tereshkova, the first multi-person crew, the first craft to reach the moon, all Russian achievements. The US race was much slower and it wasn't going well. If you'll remember Apollo 1, there was a fire on yeah. board that killed the entire crew of that. There were explosions on rocket missions. They were vastly behind the Russians in the space race. And then, of course, remember you'll remember that very famous JFK speech where he said we don't go to the moon because it's easy, we go because it is hard. Remember that was a great speech and they say that that was what kind of inspired America to go ahead Russia in the race. There were also rumours at the time that Russia was going to use the moon to store nuclear missiles. Wow. So that was also inspiring America to try and win this race. So they were under serious pressure to overtake the Russians in the space race, even if it just was the optics of winning the space race. Mm. So if we look at the clues when it comes to whether or not the moon landing was fake, the first clue that got skeptics thinking was that from pictures from the landing, it appeared that shadows were being cast in different directions. Now, the sun and the moon is the only light source. On Earth, shadows will only go in one direction. But photos from the moon show that shadows are all in, in all different directions. And even when astronauts are in shadow, they look like they're being lit from behind. So that would indicate multiple light sources, like mm. studio lights. You could also see from picture reflections... There's one picture of Buzz Aldrin where you can see a row of lights in the reflection of the mask on his helmet. Mm. So this would, again, indicate that this is some kind of studio light that's been set up. But were there not lights on, on the, the, the space thingy that was on the moon? On the lunar module? Yeah. Not emitting no, not, lights. Okay. No. Right. Okay. There's also a picture of Neil Armstrong where you can see what looks like a very large studio light in the background of, of a reflection of his mask. Mm. An interesting one, there's a picture of a rock on the moon and it has a very clear letter C on it. Now, whether that's just some kind of geological formation, I don't know, but a lot of people would say that that's a movie prop. Yes. And that's why it had the letter C on it. There's also the strange question of why you can't see any stars on any of the pictures from the moon. Even on Earth, with the amount of light pollution on a clear night, you can still see the Milky Way. But any pictures from the moon, there are absolutely no stars visible mm. 
on any of the pictures. And were the they asked about this? Were they they were. They were asked about this because it was something that came up very quickly afterwards. And they were asked about the absence of stars. This was the astronauts when they were uh, interviewed afterwards. Here's what they said. When you looked up at the sky, could you actually see the stars and the solar corona in spite of the glare? We were never able to see stars from the lunar surface or on the daylight side of the moon by eye without looking through the optics. Uh, I don't recall during the period of time that we were photographing the sonar curl of what, uh, what stars we could see. I don't remember seeing any. Right, and what, what's the issue with that? The issue with that is because they admitted, both the astronauts and NASA admitted, that they use stars as navigation to yeah. get to the moon. But if they can't see the stars, then how do they navigate their way to the moon? Right, what else is there, Ellie? The lunar module, that emitted 3,000 pounds of thrust. Now, the surface of the moon where they landed, full of dust, but there were no scorch marks on the surface and there was no dust in the air. So a lot of people would question, would the lunar module not have thrown up dust? There's also the NASA video footage of the lunar module leaving the surface to rejoin Apollo 11 in orbit. There's no rocket propulsion in that, and you can clearly see the video. It simply kind of just lifts off, and then the camera filming it zooms out and pans. So a lot of people were saying, well, how is this camera moving? And who's filming it if both the astronauts have left? There's footage of when astronauts fall, and that's what Joe Rogan was kind of um, pertaining to. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks like they are pulled up. I mean, they don't move naturally. Mm. Now, you could say that that's maybe gravity or whatever, but it, it doesn't look natural. Yes. There's footage of Buzz and Neil putting up the flag, but who's shooting the film and why is the flag waving? You yeah, can clearly that's, that's see the flag one. wave. I hear that all of the time. Yeah, yeah, because you're on a vacuum in the moon. There's no wind there. So how right. is it moving? There's no winter breeze there. Also, the temperature on the surface of the moon, it's 250 degrees Fahrenheit. The film on the camera would have melted. But there are thousands of pictures claiming to be from the surface and they all came out absolutely perfectly fine. There was no issue with the film at all. The biggest issue, though, is radiation. In 1958, scientists discovered two belts of radiation around the Earth. It means that any object leaving the Earth has to pass through these two belts. When they're first discovered, scientists thought it was actually a Soviet nuclear test being carried out in space. Such was the level of radiation there. And here's NASA's own explanation of those radiation belts. As we get further away from Earth, we'll pass through the Van Allen belts, an area of dangerous radiation. Radiation like this could harm the guidance systems, onboard computers, or other electronics on Orion. But Orion has protection. Shielding will be put to the test as the vehicle cuts through the waves of radiation. Sensors aboard will record radiation levels for scientists to study. We must solve these challenges before we send people through this region of space. I'd go to the moon in a nanosecond. Uh, the problem is we don't have the technology to do that anymore. We used to, but we uh, destroyed that technology and uh, it's a painful process to build it back again. We destroyed that technology. Destroyed the technology. It's so strange, isn't it? Um, in terms of that protection from radiation, what, what were they talking about there? Well, the rockets would need to be lined with lead in order to protect it from radiation and very heavy um, and, and thick uh, layers of lead. But what they did have, though, was aluminium foil because otherwise it would have been too heavy to line them with lead. And NASA are tr still trying to convince people that aluminium was enough to protect the astronauts and the, um, the modules themselves and the rockets themselves from this radiation. Right. Also worth noting as well, the original tapes from the moon landing, they're all gone. All of them gone. They can be investigated. NASA admitted they'd all been taped over. 
So that can't be poured over, that can't be studied. That, that sounds really suspicious because, I mean, it was one of the most momentous... It was historic. ...occasions of yeah, all time. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the most historic moments of mankind, all the tapes taped over. But then you would ask, who could be involved in a cover-up? Mm. Q, Stanley Kubrick. You know Stanley Kubrick? The, f- the filmmaker. and the One of the greatest filmmakers are considered yeah. to be one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Of his 13 movies... A few are considered classics in their respective genres, including the black comedy Dr. Strangelove, Mm. the highly quotable anti-war commentary of Full Metal Jacket. Also, of course, one of the most disturbing horror movies of all time, The Shining. Mm. But in 1968, Kubrick released 2001 A Space Odyssey. This is an absolute masterpiece among film fans, regarded one of the best science fiction films of all time. Also, the most influential. It was a collaboration with science fiction author Arthur C. Clarke and it tells the story of an alien intelligence that visited Earth in the distant past and left behind artefacts in the solar system. Now, this movie featured groundbreaking special effects which still hold up today and we never saw anything like them at the time. Mm. The effects look so good that the movie gave the American government an idea. Apparently, someone in the Pentagon approached Kubrick and asked him to fake the landing. His reward then for doing that would be funding for any future film project, which is huge. Now, some claim that Kubrick even left clues of his role in the film adaptation of Stephen King's The Shining in 1980. Now, that could be a whole other episode because if you go back on that, Stephen King hates that depiction of The Shining, has always hated it and been very vocal and always felt that Kubrick kind of did his own thing on it and didn't stay true to the book. Jack Nicholson, wasn't it? Jack Nicholson was in it, yeah. yeah. So if you look at The Shining, what a lot of people will say give you the clues. There are Indian wall hangings in the Hotel of The Shining. They look like rockets launching. The pattern on the carpet is a hexagonal shape, which is the exact shape of a rocket launching pad. Then in one scene, young Danny, which is the child in it, he stands up and you can see his knitted jumper. It has a rocket on it and it says Apollo 11. There's another scene where Danny walks down a hall and comes to an open door at room 237. Now, this has been changed from room 217 in the novel. And why the number 237 is significant is because the average orbital distance between the Earth and the Moon is 237,000 miles. There's also a scene (laughs) where Jack's wife discovers that Jack has been typing the same phrase over and over again. That phrase is, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. But the word all isn't written as all, it's written as A11 or Apollo 11. Apollo 11. Now, Kubrick has been interviewed many times, so it would have been great if he was asked about it or spoke about it. But as it turns out, maybe he was. In 2016, an interview with Kubrick with a documentary filmmaker, when he was asked about what his favourite projects were, he said the moon landing. Here's what he said. The challenge of, of making this this film, and, and, and I went into it like it was a regular film, like a, 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 another production of mine. Um, not thinking too much about uh, the long-term effects, the, 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 what it would mean uh, to, to society if, ever, if it was ever discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. You're referring to something? The, 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 moon, the fake moon landing. To fulfill this dream that America has had as a country since uh, the Kennedy years. Okay, so you're saying the motivation was PR. PR, absolutely. Plain and simple, okay. PR. 
fake, uh, faking the exploration of space because there was just no way we could get there. Now, that should have put it all to bed. It that should. That should have answered it. Because everybody saw that interview and said it's finally proof that the moon landings were indeed fake. Problem is, the interview itself is fake. It was a Stanley Kubrick lookalike, and outtakes from the documentary show the producer pressuring the actor, who he called Tom, to talk more about his conversation or fake conversation with Nixon. So that was kiboshed after a few months. So let's look at the other side then and proof that the moon landings maybe did happen. Mm. So if you look first at low resolution pictures, a lot of the picture anomalies that we spoke about can be explained simply because they are in such low resolution. Many claim to see a clear line that separates a backdrop from the the set, which could prove it was filmed on a set, but these lines disappear in the high-res versions of the pictures, so they would be there if there was a, a separation. Also, if you look at the shining clues, these could be explained as nothing more than coincidence or stretches of the imagination. The one pertaining to room three, 237, it could just be number 237. Mm. The actual distance to the moon is actually 239,000 miles, so not 237. Also, Kubrick himself admitted he was a big fan of the space mission, so may have drawn a lot of his inspiration from that. Mm. We spoke about the shadows. Now, shadows are not always parallel. It depends on where the person is standing. Objects can disappear at the vanishing point, which is the point on the horizon where we can't see beyond our field of view. Now, they used wide lenses in their photography, so that could give kind of a carnival mirror type effect on the pictures. So that could explain that. Mm. What about the stars? The stars one, because that's an interesting one. But in order to take pictures of the moon, they had to close the iris on the camera some bit to take pictures because of the brightness of the moon. We all know, of course, how bright a full moon is. So that can limit what can be pictured outside of the main focus of the picture. Mm. Much like how we don't see stars in a town because of streetlights, they're often kind of polluted with that and our eyes can only register mm. at a certain level and can't go beyond that streetlight, we'll say. What about the module landing on the moon then? Now, this can be explained because the lunar module actually turns off its engines about 10 to 12 feet above the ground. So this allows the module to kind of glide downwards and land very gently. So there wasn't that much wind to disturb the ground and it wasn't ever really going to cause any visible changes if it's going to just glide down with that. Also Apollo 11 landed in different areas than the other Apollo missions were going to so it was solid ground. So other missions mm. did show a lot of dust but that's because they landed in, in dustier, dustier areas. Well, what about the big one that they all talk about, the flag? The flag. Well, if you look at the flag, I mean, the flag was... That can be attributed to a flimsy aluminium pole used to erect it. I mean, it was it was like tinfoil kind of mushed up together. So you're not going to have much sturdiness in that. And it's going to waver a little bit until it settles again. Mm. So a lot of people will say it happened because the pole on it wasn't really sturdy enough and once it was being handled so much but once it's settled you can see it's not waving anymore so that mm. could explain that. So come on then Ellie, fake or not? Well I mean many can claim that there's evidence that the landings were faked. The main points though in it can be debunked so it raises the question then did the US succeed in bringing man to the moon? Probably but were they covering it up as well? Probably as well. But what were they covering up? So Carol Wolf gave evidence of what he witnessed in relation to the moon landings. Here's what he said. My name is Carl Wolf, and I was a precision electronics photographic repairman with a top secret crypto clearance. 
in mid-1965, I was loaned to the Lunar Orbiter Project at NASA on Langley Field. Um, I was taken into the laboratory where the equipment was malfunctioning. I couldn't repair it in the dark. I asked to have it removed. A uh, airman second class was in the dark room at that time. I was also an airman second class. About 30 minutes into the process, he said to me, um, in a very distressed way, um, by the way, we've discovered a base on the backside of the moon. And then he proceeded to put photographs down in front of me, and clearly in these photographs were structures, uh, mushroom-shaped buildings, spherical buildings, and towers. And at, at that point, I was very concerned because I knew we were working in compartmentalized security. He had breached security, and I was actually frightened at that moment, and I did not question him any further. And a few moments later, someone did come into the room. Um, I worked there for three more days, and I remember going home and naively thinking, I can't wait to hear about this on the evening news. And here it is, more than 30 years later, and I hope we hear about it tonight. And I will testify under oath before Congress that what I'm saying is the truth. Wow. So even though NASA say they intend to go back to the moon, but they don't have the finance and they lost the technology... The real reason, maybe, we haven't gone back because of what we found when we did go there. Yeah, but I mean, none of it adds up when you think, lost the technology. I mean, they're supposed to have gone to the moon on sort of computer power that would be similar to what we'd have on a watch yeah. nowadays. Yeah. So how do you mean they lost the I mean, we can technology? go to Mars. We can surely go to the moon. Yeah. It's, so it would so make you question maybe what are we not being told when it comes to what they did find on the moon? More conspiracy. Dun, dun, dun. I love it. Ellie, thanks very thanks, much friend. indeed. Fascinating as always. Thank you. It's uh, 28 past 11. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors joins me in studio. Good morning to you, John, and good to see you. Um, that new bill, John, updating Ireland's law on hate crime and hate speech. You're going to have a look at that uh, yeah. first. Now, it's been approved by the government. It, it still has to yeah, make its, its gone, way through it's, the Shannon, is that it's it? It's gone through the Doyle. It's going through the Shannon at the moment. Um, and I think what prompted me to look at it was um, I remember when I was in college when they introduced the emergency legislation um, I can't remember was it during internment times a long time back anyway and I was a law student studying constitutional law mm. and there was a huge uproar in the constitutional law tutorial uh, because the kind of general, but it's probably you might say typical of students, but anyway, there was the general belief that, you know, introducing emergency legislation or legislation that changes constitutional law is something that should should be very rare and mm. only in very justifiable circumstances. And was so, Section 31 part of that? Was yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, effectively what what you had at the time was a suspension of all constitutional rights and, you know, all what would have been human rights. And you, you had the special criminal courts that mm. were set up and things mm. like that. So there, I remember at the time there was a huge debate about it. And when I was watching the telly the other night and I was watching 
what went on in Dublin and obviously, you know, not very nice to see and but then when you saw the aftermath of it and then when you had the various uh, statements by public representatives, I won't name any particular one, talking about this this piece of legislation and that this is a justification for why this legislation could, should be immediately processed without any uh, opposition per se and that this was a justifying reason why it should be put through. And that kind of brought me back... 40 years to the question as to whether or not legislation should be processed on the basis of particular circumstances, if you know what I mean, something that might happen. And it gives it gives a good opportunity, obviously, um, to bypass maybe some of the precautions that are essential to legislation being put mm. into place. So... Is that like saying that tragedy doesn't make good law? John? Well, it's well. Lawyers often say, or judges often say, you know, you know, bad law. You know, bad cases make bad law, yeah, yeah. and that that is a problem. And that is a, you know, as a as a lawyer or somebody who's involved in it, that you you know that that is the case. That you know, it's a little bit like making a decision, personal decision, when you're in very traumatic yes, circumstances. Course, yes. You know, we all say wait until the trauma passes and then make your make your decision on a on a reasoned basis because but I, and again I'm not I'm not raising any kind of comment about um whether the legislation should or not be passed on a on a kind of political note I'm saying mm-hmm. that from a legal point of view every piece of legislation has to be uh balanced and I was listening and again I was listening to, and I can't say who it was, somebody in the Shannon, uh basically promoting the bill, talking about that our constitution, which, I mean, we are a very uh, favoured jurisdiction from the point of view that we do have a constitution. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, a constitution is the kind of benchmark for, you know, a mirror almost to look at legislation to see whether or not it stands up to constitutional issues, if you know what I mean. And the point that was made uh, by the, the, the lady that I was listening to was, look, you know, our constitution has to have a balance between the common good and individual rights. And that, interestingly enough, is really the kind of cornerstone of an analysis by the Supreme Court of legislation if they're to test whether it's constitutional or not. So in other words, when it, when any piece of legislation, and you and I were talking about the legislation that was, that, that was referred by the President to the Supreme Court mm-hmm. on the appointment, you know, the whole area of appointing judges and that, and the President has a function, his function is to refer legislation where where he or she may consider that it needs to be reviewed because obviously uh, legislation can be reviewed by the uh, Supreme Court at any stage on a referral during the court like if it's enacted and somebody takes a case Supreme Court saying I think this case is unconstitutional or I think sorry that this act is unconstitutional and there have been many instances of that down the years 
but the referral by the president is a very specific, a preemptive strike almost on the legislation to see whether or not it stands up to constitutional yeah. scrutiny or not. And the question that I suppose that you have to ask yourself about this legislation, if you're looking at it in that context, is is there anything in the legislation that should be looked at from a constitutional mm. point of view? In other words, will it stand the test of either an individual making an application to the Supreme Court or the President making a referral to the Supreme Court. And, you know, again, there hasn't been any talk about that. But well, it, well, there's been some speculation that if it does get to the courts, John, that yes. one of the big difficulties will be the definition of hate. And there doesn't appear to be there isn't. a definition yeah. of hate. Well, there isn't. So yeah. what, what, is that going to be left to the judges then to determine that? Well, yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. So the question that you have to ask yourself is that... You know, when you look at the kind of the general thrust of the legislation, and obviously the intent is an absolutely valid intent, and I'm not questioning that for one minute. And you know, just just with with a kind of a general look at it, I mean, don't forget that this isn't the first piece of legislation that deals with this, because mm. we had a previous act uh, that that dealt with it and I mean this is this is a new version if you like of an act that was brought in 1989 which was the prohibition of incitement to hatred act and some people of course are arguing that that's perfectly good well exactly yeah. and that and, and that is a question that you probably have to ask you know and again it brings me back um, to when I was a, a, a was a, yeah, I was just a newly qualified solicitor um, and I was in Sligo and I was asked, little did I know how much of a hot potato it was because I wouldn't be hugely political as in I wouldn't have been hugely au fait with the politics side of 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 the legal of a legal issue and it was around the time where they were looking to amend the constitution on the right of life, the right to life and in my innocence, I was asked to give a talk, and I, I, so I studied the. Con I obviously had studied the Constitution in college, and I revisited the Constitution in terms of various cases that had come up uh, about the whole issue of right to life. And having studied it all and having done, I thought a good job on it. I then stood up in front of a a, a group, uh, a public meeting. And I addressed the issue as to whether or not there was a need to amend the Constitution, which is on your point as to whether is there a need to mm. amend the previous Act. And my my conclusion was there was no need to amend the previous... Uh, there was no need to bring in a constitutional amendment. And that I argued that the law, as it was by interpretation of the Constitution by the Supreme Court, was there was already a right there and therefore there was no need to add it in. So it brings you back to the question as to whether or not is the current bill necessary and has it added anything to the whole area of... And obviously it does add certain things to it. Mm. But one of the things that the previous Act the 89 Act and the 22 Bill, which is likely to be soon made law, uh, is, as you say, the definitions, the definition yes. sections. Because at the end of the day, you know, you ask the question, you know, if there isn't a definition in the legislation, how does one 
uh, deal with it if you're going to prosecute because obviously these are prosecutable offences. I mean, what you're looking at here is that, and this is putting it very, very uh, bluntly or very simply, you're looking at a situation where it's a piece of legislation that says that if you're involved in a situation either in a public arena scenario or a publication scenario or online or whatever, if you're involved in a situation where you uh, express and show hate or hatred to a particular section of society and it lists the the people that are identified as people that you can, if you like, target Mm. From from the point of view of the legislation, and it gives a, a list, you know, ethnic groups, you know, LGBT, LGBT groups, uh, you know, gender, religion, all the ones that okay. you might expect, yes. and so it kind of says, well, it's hatred against, but it doesn't define. What what hatred is? What yeah. hatred is? And and uh, Senator McDowell, who is a respected barrister, of course, as mm. well. I mean, the fact he's bringing up these concerns yeah. with it as well. So you'd yeah. imagine that if he's, if he's bringing up that it should be listened to, you know. Yeah, but it, it well, I I can't I can't say whether or not you should or shouldn't listen to. Uh, Mr. McDool, uh, obviously, I would certainly listen to him as a colleague, and I would, I'd be very interested in what he has to say about yeah. it. But I mean, again, and you know, I mean, looking at it from a legal, from a strictly legal point of view, there are additions to the bill. Uh, there's a couple of critiques that mm. have been made of the of the legislation, mm. and none of which seems to have seen the light of day in terms of the amending of the legislation because if you look at the legislation there was a submission made by the Coalition Against Hate Crime which is a with an umbrella organisation that covers you know human rights uh, LGBT you know all mm, sorts mm, of different mm. interest groups and they made a very very detailed submission on the bill and basically they said not only was there no definition of hate but there's no definition of various other incitement or various other areas. And that's the one I want from you, John, because, I mean, obviously it will affect us here. I mean, will it restrict free speech? I mean, that is... Well, you see, one... Yeah, and that's... uh, That is the nub of it, because, you know, one of the other critiques that was made by the Coalition Against Hate Crime, and I'm I'm citing them, I'm not saying it's my critique, it's their critique, but I, I do certainly agree with it, is that... In the legislation, the the legislation comes from a directive of the EU and what they've done is they've transposed this fancy term for kind of added into the back of the law legislation, the directive from the EU. So they're kind of locked that on and then added the act in front of it. So effectively the act says... Well, the directive, we're applying the directive, and by the way, it's on Appendix 1, so you look to Appendix 1 for the directive. So that raises the first question. Where are you looking? Are you looking in the bill or are you looking in the directive from the EU to decide what is the law in this area? So that that is a critique by on the legislation as well, that why was there a need to include the directive if you were trying to cover everything in the Act? And that could lead to fairly uh, interesting uh, argument by people who are being prosecuted under the Act. But then you, when you move along and you look at it, it basically allows 
certain circumstances um, where people can actually, um, if you like, use hateful material, you know, vocally mm. or otherwise. Yeah, this, this is a fascinating part of yeah. it, I, I think, John. Will, will, will yeah. you explain this? Yeah, basically what they're saying is that it's an offence if you incite violence against persons on account of their protective characteristics. That's the, that's the terminology of the legislation. So in other words, if you incite any kind of a situation where the protected characteristics are being challenged and it's shown to be hateful under those circumstances, but there are defences to it. And one of, one of the defences that they have in it is that, well, the one that you'd, that you'd commonly come across, absolute privilege, you know, if you're in the Doyle, apparently you can say whatever you like in the yeah. Doyle, as we know. Yeah. Um, uh, that's absolute privilege. But a reasonable and genuine contribution to literary, artistic, political, scientific, religious and ac- academic discourse. So it's called the dis- the discourse defence. And the big um, criticism and a very significant criticism of the legislation is that they've brought in this discourse defence, which effectively means, and the argument is, that people in uh, public public known individuals it, it brings me in mind in mind of um an a, a, an interview with Elon Musk uh on that hit the headlines all over the US when he used a various expletive to uh, indicate what he thought of um Disney withdrawing Disney. their, their advertising, advertising yeah. to X and it was fairly fairly straight and right 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 between the eyes to uh Disney saying I don't give a whatever to whether you want to withdraw your advertising or not now if you're in a a public figure like he is or you're a political figure and you bring in the argument well I'm only involved in a discourse here and I am I'm a public figure and I'm a figure that people listen to and I'm simply just being interviewed by Joe Bloggs, by Fran is interviewing me on the radio and I'm a public figure and therefore it's only in that context that I utter these utterances that if some private individual did it, they would not be able to call into account that defence. They wouldn't be able to. So to me... Yes. That, that opens the but, whole argument. But, but John, if I'm listening to a discourse on the radio, say, yes, say on Tip yeah, Today here, yeah, and I'm yeah, at home, and yeah. I'm listening very carefully to yeah. this, and I think, and and if I feel that John Lynch, in something he said, incited me to hate somebody or to carry out some act on some group or some person or something, do I have a case then, even though some might argue, not at all, John didn't say that, that's not what he meant. I mean, have I have I a case then? Has who the case? Have like you... if 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 I if somebody acts upon that, yes, and and they they when they tell the court that oh well it was something John said on tip right. today is that a defence? Is that a defence? No, because you see your act, you'd argue that you see the, the the whole legislation here is about the incitement side of it, so it's really only looking at the individual on the radio saying what he said mm. or she said if you know what I mean and the the problem that I the where I see it is that the individual who is at home 
isn't necessarily inciting anybody. They're acting on it. But if they go out in public and show that hatred, then, if you like, you look at that in isolation. The fact that somebody... Like, there's two offences. There's the actual behaving in a way... Like, if, you're, if you look at the scenario that occurred in Dublin where people went out and, and literally subjected uh, people to all sorts of uh, behaviour mm. and showing hatred yes. towards them, whatever. In that situation, they that's a standalone situation because there's offences of incitement, but there's actually the, the basic defence, actions likely to stir up hatred. I mean, an action likely to stir up hatred right. could be you on the internet literally um, the discourse that we're talking about, the discourse defence that you're talking about isn't going to be open to you if you're sitting at home on your computer and you're on X, Mm. Twitter or whatever, you're on X and you're inciting hatred or you're seen to be inciting hatred. And the the whole argument that uh, has been made is that instead of having that particular provision in there, what they should have done was literally cited the law as it stands, i.e. that you have a right to free speech and that, mm. you know, and, and, under those, and under those circumstances, you should be relying on those constitutional protections and not bypassing what is the law and just introducing this new defence. All right, can I play you a piece? There's 50 seconds of this, John, and I'd love your opinion on it. This is Richard Boyd Barrett in Mm. full flight. He's addressing a rally. And I'll say no more, just just have a listen to this. That this, a state that is capable of doing this is a psychopath. The only thing you can do with a state like this is resist this and bring it down. And that is what has to happen with the filthy, apartheid, racist, colonial settler regime that is Israel. We have to do what they did in South Africa. We have to do what they did in Vietnam. We have to do what they did in Algeria. We have to do what we had to do here in Ireland. Resist them. So we've got to rise up. The only answer to this is Intifada. Revolution, as Asiel said, the collective revolution of humanity to take our society back for humanity. Now, yeah. what, what do you make of that, Princess? Where would that fall if this, if this amendment was there? Well, he would try and argue that it was, and, and, and again, it comes back to the very point that you asked, and that, that you, you asked the question, who, def- who decides this? You know, who decides what's hate mm. if you don't define it? And the argument that was made on this particular section is that why introduce this uh, section into it when you've got pre-existing law under the right to free speech, etc., etc. So if you look at the section, what the section says is it's a reasonable and genuine contribution to, in this case, political uh, or academic discourse. So it'll be political discourse. So there's, there's the question that you're posing. Would you argue and could you argue that that's reasonable and genuine? Is it genuine? Yeah, you'd argue. He'd obviously argue that it was genuine. But he's talking about rising is it up. Reasonable? He's talking about rebellion. He's yeah, about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you see, is it? Is it? And again, exactly the point that you made at the start. Is it hate? Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? How do you define hate? How does one define hate? And the irony of it is that there was a definition that was offered by the coalition on hatred. And if if I if you bear with me for a second, if I can lay my hands on it, let's see would it cover it, if you know what I mean. Mm. Okay, so hatred. Hatred means a state of mind characterized as intense and irrational emotions of enmity or detestation against a person or a group of persons in the state or elsewhere on account of their membership or presumed membership of a group defined by reference to a protected characteristic or any one of those characteristics. So, you see, mm. the argument here is that the yeah. state of Israel doesn't yeah, I mean, no, but if I was a Jewish person, yeah, I might yeah, say yeah. That, might. that's that's not yeah. just an attack on yeah, the state. That's might. an attack on the Jewish on, on, people. Yeah, you might. Yeah, Do you, you know. Might. Yeah, but therein lies the fascination of the legal system in the sense that if I'm defending him, I'm going to defend him in one way. If I'm prosecuting him, I'm you going to prosecute him in another way. way. And then it's going to, as you say, come down to yes. if there is no interpretation. But even with even with the interpretation. You still have an argument. You're always going to have an argument. It's interesting. Yeah, but yeah. is it case law that will define case this law, in the end? Case is law that, will define it in the yeah. end. And effectively, what you know, what you're looking at here. I mean, there. I mean, it's it's a it's a really fascinating piece of legislation from a discursive point of view, because if you look at it. You know, it has broadened the rights to search. So effectively, you could be sitting at home with a, uh, a warrant. Somebody comes in your door, says, I want that computer, I want your password, I want your encrypted code, and I want to take all the stuff off your machine, etc., etc." So there's a whole arguments there about your your constitutional rights, like your house is supposed to be inviolable, and yet... Under this piece of legislation, you could get a guard knocking on your door. 1984. Well. <laughs> John, real pleasure, as always. Thanks so much Thank indeed. John Lynch, Lynch Solicitors. That's it for me, Emma. Produced to Ali. Uh, looks after a contest. Stephen is on the way with the time total. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves. Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.